Hello everyone and welcome back to the Misunderstood podcast where we try to make the misunderstood understood to the best of our ability. So this is our first ever podcast, it's episode one and today you know we've got a very important subject today with our co-host. The main, the whole point of this podcast is for Dylan Davis, our co-host, to talk about his story with cerebral palsy and what it's like to live in modern day society having a disability isn't that right Bill? yes absolutely bill um i wanted to be clear to all listeners isn't a sort of a um to feel sorry for me or anything like that it's just educate and inform people and also maybe to inspire some of the listeners with cerebral palsy so they can understand what it's like to live in britain with the, with this condition um through, through my eyes and see if there are any similarities and make sure that you know they can succeed and yes it's hard um no matter what yeah, but not even Britain, around around the world. You know, yeah, you know, you want to inspire people though, around the world that they can do whatever you want. And you'll realise further into this podcast all the achievements Dylan has achieved in his life. <laughs> and, you know, there's nothing that's held him back, even though he's got a disability oh. and he's disabled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So well let's 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 start from the start then though. So what so you obviously you're born. <laughs> Yeah. And then, uh, obviously, you don't remember the first couple no. of years of your life. Yeah, I'll, I'll go from here. So, I was uh, prematurely born. I was meant to be born, I believe, early November. But I came out uh, 20th of September. So, I was a few weeks born and was a month before. Um, Sorry, you're, so you're conceived around February 14th, is that? Around that, that time, yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, basically, um, basically uh, when I was born, I was premature. Um, regular um, baby clothes didn't fit me. I had to have smaller clothes because they did not fit me. I was born without any eyebrows or anything. My eyebrows hadn't developed and my my uh, vocal cords hadn't developed yet. So when I uh, would cry, it would sound like a kitten when I would sort of say, like, ee, ee, ee. When you were born, then, they didn't know you had cerebral palsy. No, no, they? no, no. They didn't, they didn't realise until I was two years old. Now, for listeners who know, I was, um, who know the area, I was in a uh, Rose on sea with my mum and dad, and we went for a walk. And um, as you know, Bill, when we went, you know, you I went to get some ice cream. So my mum gave me the ice cream, put it into my disabled hand, my right hand, and literally just dropped through. I couldn't grip it or hold it. That's when my mum and dad realised, oh, something isn't right here. So they took me to a GP, and they they um, and they took me to a specialist, and I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy hemiplegia. So that basically means. Um, had weakness down on the right side on my arm and leg. Um, how this happened basically was when I was in the, my mum's womb and when I got born, I had a bleed on the brain. So very similar to stroke. Uh, many stroke victims have exactly the same um, sort of ailments as I do. So it's very they're very similar. Uh, if you take Andrew Marr, for example, he had a stroke in the exact sort of way how he is with his arm and leg. That's how I am with my arm and leg. Um, except obviously, because I've grown up with it, my, I'm slightly, I'm not as, it's not as bad. It's only weakly affected me. Um, so basically, it was very interesting. I got scarred on the left side of the brain because the left side of the brain controls the right side of the body. And um, doctors were quite um, astonished because usually the left side, the um, the side of the brain which wasn't affected, which was on the right side, was for arithmetic, um, organisation, organizations so 
you know, I'll tell the listeners now, I'm very bad at maths and organisation. You, right. you know yourself, you know, I'm not, so I'm, I'm literally terrible at it. I, I'm hopeless, you know. Yeah, um, yeah well, yeah, loads of time, but we'll, we'll get into that. But what, what happened is, so actually, I should have been really good at maths and arithmetic, but I, I'm terrible at speech and say creativity, but I wasn't. My brain compensated, so it turns out I'm very good at communication and uh, and I'm speaking, speaking art and art. Well, not art as in like uh, drawing, but I'm creative. But I'm terrible at maths and quick and, and like uh, equations and stuff like that and organisation. So my brain compensated for that basically, which is uh, quite fascinating, really. The brain is an amazing thing, you know. It's like a supercomputer. So yeah, so that's basically what what happened and. That's what they found out, really. Do you do you, do you have any er, do you have any early memories of thinking, okay, I'm not the same here as like the other children, or I'm, for example, in like in early what do you call it, um, primary school, kindergarten, is it? What's the oh, early no, one? Playground, 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 play, sorry, play, play, play group, school, play, play group, play group. Do you ever have any memories around that time of thinking to yourself, oh, um, they can do that, but I can't do that? But you didn't think anything of it. Like, do you have any early memories of being have being disabled or did they not come till later on yes well i remember now i remember being in a cot and this is all my first memories being in a cot and i couldn't be able to sit up so i'd be in a cot crying and i couldn't sit up and get up out of the cot basically and obviously you're a like a baby or a toddler so you don't think but i, I did kind of think well something isn't quite right here my mum and dad explained to me uh why i have a weakness you know i i, I remember looking i remember as a kid child like before I'd be looking at my hand and you know my hand looking at my eyes. Yeah, but surely you didn't understand that at the time at that age. No, you no, didn't no, think anything of it, no. But I knew there was something. You know, I I knew there was something. My hand would naturally bend, bend. If you look at um, pictures of me, my hand used to be bent like um, my right hand used to be bent and sort of would be uh, bent like over, like you know, you know. So you could hardly and you couldn't really think. So I did have an idea, but my mentor set me down and said. This is the reason why. And also, I always had physio, so it kind of became routine. It was sort of um, normal, if that makes sense. So I'd have physio. I would go to the... Um, I would go to the... I'd have special boots, for example. Uh, and, you know, I, so I'd always be going in and out of hospital. So, but it became normal for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it would became sense. part of my routine. So it wasn't... Because it, it wasn't obvious. I wasn't never in a wheelchair so it never it was never like extremely obvious that oh yeah I am you know I am disabled or whatnot um and I think if you could tell like if I was little if I was little around you could tell but I remember being because when I was very young I didn't have any balance so I'd always have scrapes on my legs I'd trip and fall on the playground and I'd have blood and bruises because I I can balance yeah, basically balance I'd run a bit like a duck yeah 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 I run like a duck so you know and stuff like that so but. Yeah, it just like I said to you, it became sort of routine. So obviously, it was obvious. Like, um, if you're a playground, I can never do anything like the monkey bars or a swing would be quite difficult for me to do. And stuff like that requires good balance. Um, I couldn't do. You you wouldn't know this, Bill, because you're from Ireland. But in year six, we had a um, you'd come in and get your bike, your, your your bicycle license. Well, I could never participate in that because ride a two wheel bike, I couldn't ride a two wheel bike. I understand what you mean. So, and then, did you ever have any negative experience in primary school with being disabled? 
did ever, did the kids ever treat you any different? Did anyone ever say anything nasty to you? Like, what was your experience in primary school? I, obviously, because like knowing Dill for the listeners there, you know, Dill is a very popular lad. You know, he's loads of friends. Oh, you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, so what did you even have any negative experiences or did you just kind of, did everyone realize, okay, Dill, you know, he's disabled, you know, he's a nice lad. He doesn't, he doesn't bother us. You know what I'm trying to say that? Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I knew I was disabled because this might shock you now because I'm a natural extrovert. I used to be incredibly shy with other kids because I was scared that they wouldn't want to be friends with me because I wasn't disabled. Um, so I would, I remember, I think this was maybe nearest reception. They would say that I had no friends, but it was just, it wasn't that I didn't have any friends. It just, I didn't have confidence to go and say, oh, can we, can I play a game with you? Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah, because I was, thought they were judging you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew someone's right. I'm like, they probably wouldn't want to play with a disabled person because um, I always wore splint as well. Um, Can you just ex- describe for the listeners then what a splint is? And what yes, yes. So I had like a Velcro blue splint that helped straighten out the uh, wrist and the hand really basically. Separate fingers. My fingers were much more, not conjoined, but they were much more stiff. So to sort of separate it. Yeah, set kind of. So you wear it on your hand. Yeah, and it yeah. it goes up the hand, yeah, yeah. up to your elbow. Yeah, and all the old ones had Velcro and it had a thin, um, thin strip of aluminium which was bent so it made sure my wrist would be straight and not bent, if yeah. that makes sense. So the whole point of it was to make your wrist yes, look yes, more absolutely. straight. Yes, absolutely, yes, yeah. But, I mean, I think in primary school, obviously, I, I, I did make friends. I made, made quite a lot of friends. And people kind of, because you're a kid, you know, people just made, you know, became friends with me. I think what I would do, like, i tell you what I did, actually, was, um, so I always liked swimming. Um, and I think the reason why I quite liked swimming was because, um, my muscles felt light. I liked going deep. I liked moving around deep, like diving. You know, I loved, I loved swimming. I was like a, my mum would say, you know, you're like a fish in water. Um, so when I was in, um, when I was in primary school, I would have been about seven. I did, I saw a mile for a charity for Bobath, which is a specialist physio in Cardiff. Uh, children's physio is a charity. So, you know, they, they need funds. Um, so this all started. Um, I joined Conway Wales as a swimmer, which is like the same swimming club. I'd win a, you know, I'd win a few medals, but my swimming teacher, Angie, would, um, you know, would go out and do some swimming. Um, and I remember once, you know, they were trying to get me to a length, so I did a length. And she's like, all right, well, so you can do two lengths, I did two lengths. And then I did about five lengths. And then she said, all right, let's see if you can do 16 lengths. So I did 16 lengths, which was a quarter of a mile. And then I did 32. And then a few weeks later, 32 lengths, which was half a mile. And then I write, right, Dylan could do a mile. So we started training for this mile. Uh, did the 64 lengths, which was one mile. And I think after that, people were very much respected of me. Even like the, even like the, uh, the, um, the, uh, even like the kids of my age, even though it was quite young, they were compressed because bearing in mind, they just sort of done their, you know, they've just got their lengths and I'm here doing a mile. And um, so I did that and I won, I won, you know, I won the Scott, I think I won Child of the Year. Um, I, I went to awards ceremonies. I went to one in Venue Cymru, which is, uh, for listeners who don't know, it's a theatre in North Wales. It's a massive event. I won the Scottish Power. No, no, sorry. I won, I think it was the Young Persons Award 2007. And then I won another award. I went to the St. George's Hotel, uh, which was in Clampton Mill. And I won another award, which was um, the Young Persons Award. So I went, you know, I went to I know, fancy dinners, you know what I mean? Um, this first time you'd have, like, 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 uh, you know, like the cutlery, you have to start, you know, the, you know, you have to start a, 
you work your way out. I didn't, cause I didn't know what, what to do really. I was there in a tuxedo. Um, and basically I, um, basically I, I, I won, I won these awards and I also got, um, Pioneer, you know, the newspaper Pioneer, Young Child of the Year, basically. And I got a day off school and I had a mis, I had Mercedes chauffeur drive me around all the local businesses in uh, North Wales and it'd give me like awards sponsored paper and, you know, photo and whatnot. And then I remember went to a Brewers Fair in a Clandon Note or I know that, you know, it's Brewers Fair, but it's Brewsters or um, it was known as Charlie Chalks uh, before. And I had a bit, so it was really nice. So I went quite a lot of awards for it. So then I, um, after that, you know, my swing team was like, oh, you can do that. What else can you do? Not necessarily for the awards, just yeah. for the challenge. Well, how, well, how, sorry to interrupt you, but of how, course. how did that make you feel just doing that one mile? Because you weren't, you know, that, that was a good, that was a physical feat of endurance. Mm. And that's, that was probably quite new to you. Yeah. Because you've, you know, all, you've had probably younger children that do it all, like, can, like say they can run further than you, they can do this, they can do that. Was that? Did you feel like that was the first time in your life where you know what I can do whatever I want here? Did you feel enlightened and motivated to be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I can actually do now? Oh no, I, I just felt really hungry afterwards. To be honest <laughs> with you, no, I'm, I'm joking. So, yeah, I'm, I'm joking. I know, obviously, you're young and you're seven. I, 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 how I did, yeah. Can you remember kind of what you felt? Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, because you, I was never really the fastest person you know i couldn't have been the fastest person and i couldn't have been the strongest because i even assumed i wasn't a fast swimmer i had very good endurance but i wasn't necessarily a fast swimmer but um my old primary school teacher uh would say he'd always tell the story did you ever do the high jump in primary school um you know we jump over the bump and you land on well we did you know with part for the uh in the summer, it was because it was like, you know, a bit like the uh, Olympic sport, you know, the high jump. So we would do it for summer um, lessons. And because I, I was really bad at the high jump, the, the bar had to be set really low for me. But my yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my primary school teacher, um, and I didn't know this because I'd obviously left primary school at this point, but he, and my, I've, I've got bros and cousins, you know, went to the school. They'd always say to me, oh, he told us about your story about the high jump. And I said, what do you mean he told me? Oh, sorry about the high jump. Because I didn't know what he meant. He said, you know, I said, you know, I said, I was terrible at the high jump. I was never top. He goes, yeah, but you never gave up. You exactly. never gave up. Exactly. It didn't, it didn't care. They were like, they were like, they, they said to me, he said, they so about how your feet. And every year the bar would go a bit higher for me. Yeah. So I would improve. I was yeah. never the top. And metaphorically. Well, yeah, I suppose. But, um, you know, but like, um, you know, it was just very much like, um, People seem to gravitate towards it. I mean, I I never think I was better than anyone because I think I think quite a few people in primary school. I I some lads. I did think they did get a bit jealous of me doing that stuff because these were like, yeah, yeah but you know, these just little kids. You know what yeah, I mean? I'm not. You know, it wasn't like oh, you know, it, yeah. these are just little kids. You weren't doing it out of a no, spot no, no. Where I'm going to make these jealous? No, God, you know, no, absolutely not. No, no, no. And I think those teachers, though, you know, you definitely they would have looked at you and thought, you know what? This this would have motivated them, but I, I never you know? really I never because I never really saw it like that. I thought I I did the challenge, but I'm not really that satisfied. So I would never really show off my achievements. I think that's the one thing I remember would say about me and my brother. We're both high achievers. We ne- we're quite humble. We'd be yeah, like, we're like we're like yeah, all right, that's great. Yeah, let's give something else. I mean, I personally I feel like I'm always hungry for it. I ne- I always want to do that. But um yeah, so I never really um 
you know, did that. But I remember me doing the next challenge. I did the equivalent channel of the channel swim from Britain to France. So that's for our listeners. That's the equivalent of the English channel to France from do- from England from France. Dover to Paris the Calais. Oh, Calais. Sorry, Dover, yeah, Calais, Calais. Just for the listeners. Yeah, listen. yeah. So I did it over. I think it was a month or so. And I'd, I remember I'd get it really early. I'd get the life center is there. I'd swim and I, I'd, I'd go back. So that uh, was the next challenge. Was yes, yes, swim yeah. the length of the English Channel. Yeah, within a month or so, I think. And um, they said to me, um, yeah, "You're going to do that in the pool." Yeah, the swim pool. Yeah, yeah the life center. Yeah. And um, basically, what happened? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd come into school. I'd be exhausted. So I'd, you know, just swim pools, exhausted, and come and go to bed more or less, and then get up and do the same thing. Um, and also, um, you know, I remember a girl was taking a girl was taking a trip to Liverpool, and she was driving. She say, "Mum, have we done what Dylan's done yet? The length?" And he's like, "No, we haven't. No, we haven't. No, we haven't." And I, I at the time, I was like, "Oh yeah, well, whatever." Do you know what I mean? But Mum, Mum said, "I don't think you realise how big you've got done. That's that's a phenomenal thing. No one else has done that. You you you've proven yourself to be quite strong. Same women, you keep going. Whatever. Do you know what I mean? I was never really." Because I was never really like, oh my god, I'm the best. Because I didn't win any awards for, I didn't win any awards for the channel swim, you know. And I, I, I wasn't going to go out to win awards. Yeah, you to yeah, yeah. I sponsored a charity called Aspire, which is for people who uh, suffer with spinal problems and, um, you know, wheelchair users stuff like that. Um, you know, which affects, affects their spine. So I never really, like I said, I never did to just you know show off. But yeah, it was just, it was just like that really. So. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, but that that was it really. I did it just to sort of challenge, but again, never satisfied. But Kip, I think in primary school people had because our our primary school was already quite our year was quite close to the year. We all knew each other. The mum and all each other. I mean, I don't know if that's the case for every primary school in the, the country, but my primary school there wasn't many in the class. I think there was only about twelve or fourteen. There wasn't even that many. And um, so everyone knew each other, and people were quite like people were quite proud of me. And I never really, you know, took really. I mean, well, not now I'm taking notes. I was grateful, but I never I thought, well, yeah, why? Because I'm not top. I'm not this, but I always strive to be top. Yeah. And I remember my primary school teacher saying to me, he "Goes, you know, you said to me, he said, you know, you say to mum, and she said this to me, said, you know, Dylan, you're your own worst critic. You're doing these little things, and you're still not satisfied." I was like, "Yeah, but they're not really." Because, but they are, do you know what I mean? And it's only now I think, oh yeah, maybe it was good. Maybe, maybe for someone who was about seven or eight, yeah, it was good. But you know, I never really saw it because I wasn't, you know, athletic particularly, and I never did it. You know, I was I like sport, but I wasn't an athlete, so I just didn't feel satisfied really. So, but there we go. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, was there any other significant events that happened in in your primary school years that has influenced, or you have just a memory of whether that's a fond memory? Or a bad memory of to do with your condition or anything like that. I do actually. I do have a, a good memory. Um, so we ha- there were there's a group of uh, four mums. So we all known each other since nursery, and we'd all go out to play in uh, jelly beans, which is in Saint Asif. I don't know. It's not called jelly beans anymore. I don't know what it's called, but it had like lots of play area. And um, I remember these kids were bullying me. And bullying your health. Well, we, we, no, no, not, not my group. It was, we met a different group of kids and they were bullying me. They were just sort of saying, Oh, why does he walk like, cause you get that. Oh, why does he walk like that? Why is he holding his hand like that? You know, not, not, not sort of bullying. Just not bullying, making observations. As yeah. Would do, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's just kids. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I would never hold it against them, the children. Do you know what I mean? 
you know, I'm not some, you know, monster. It's like, oh, you know what I mean? These kids do that. But, um, and I remember one of the, one of the, one of the kids I was with, one of the friends I had, uh, she went to me and went, oi. And she pointed at me and went, this man swam a mile. You know, this boy swam a mile. Could you do that? He also did the equivalent channel. Did you do that? No. So go and do one then. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I was, and I didn't think anything of it really. And I thought, I was very popular, and I think you know, I think what it is, people love an underdog. Yeah. People love an underdog, and especially that, in British culture, yeah. people love the underdog. I'm going to be honest with you, as you, the listeners, will realise further on in this podcast, you're the underdog of underdogs. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Yeah, it depends like how you look at yourself, really. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm an underdog, but you know, maybe. I'd, I'd say you are an underdog. You know yourself. Oh. You know, instant elements in life. Yeah, elements, yeah, you've had to fight for what. Yeah, you, you of course, of course, of course, of course. So the next stage now, Bill, was um, high school. So you get to year six. Year Every, seven, everyone's, year seven. everyone's talking about oh. which high school they're going to go to. Yeah. Um. Which? Oh, which? I'm going to go to this high school. I'm going to go to this high school. Not naming any high schools in particular. You know, but we know the ones that the, everyone was talking about. Which yeah. Ones to go to. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, how did you come to the decision of going to your second? Well, that, that's quite a, that's quite a comfort that's quite controversial as well, actually. So the person who looks after the same people and decides which school is best for them, they wanted me to go to a high school in Clandon, they were John Bright's, because it was a new school at the time and it was all flat. But all my friends went to Brinellian, and I was like, no, I want to go to Brinellian. Why would I go to John Bright's? I, w- I want to go to Brinellian, and I was so adamant that we have to go to Brinellian. Now, for the listeners who don't know, Brunelian is sort of like on a, it's, it's a school built in the seventies, and the skill the school's on like a hill, like a bankment. So it, walking around would have been very exhausting, and it would have been look, it, it would have been in hindsight, it would have been easier to go to uh, Brides. But I thought, no, I want to go to Brunelian with my friends, and after a lot of arguing, my mum fair play to her, she really and so, you know I went to Brunelian and it was exhausting. And I'll tell you another thing as well. I think because all the kids that were going to Brunelian, the reason was because. That Clandolus school was the, catch, was the catchment yeah, area yeah, yeah, yeah. for Benelli. Absolutely. And that's absolutely. why most of the children was going there, wasn't it? And I'll tell you another thing as well. Um, I had the option to get a taxi into school and not take the bus. But I was like, no, no, I'm going to miss, ba- you know, I'm going to miss the banter on the bus. And, you know, the, the kid, I want, I want as no one to be treated. No, exactly. I, even though it would have made it easier, I'd have been less tired. I said, no, no. I said, because I remember my mum saying it. And I was like, no, I don't want to take the taxi. I'm going to miss. It's going. To the, it's part of it. Going to yeah. the bus with your friends. Yeah. You know. So I, you know, I, you know, I took the bus, and I actually remember someone saying to me, saying, "Oh, you know, Dylan, I wish I was you. I, 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 I would, I would uh, take a taxi." Like, no, no, I want to take a bus. I want to. I want to be part of it. I, yeah. I don't want any special privilege for being disabled. I want to take the bus. Like, yeah. like, like you. Like, well, I don't right. know. You didn't take the bus, but yeah, like, yeah. you know, what I'm trying to say, like, know you, you know what I mean. You didn't want any special privilege. You didn't want people to be like, "Oh, look at him. He's getting." taxi into school. Absolutely. You just wanted to, in a way, blend in without anyone even mentioning your yeah. disability. Yeah, I wanted to be one of the boys. I didn't want to be, oh, this is Dylan, he's got a condition, we've got to shoot him. It's like fine China. Because I'm not like that. I'm oh, very, yeah. I'd say I'm very rough and ready. You know, you know, if, if you know, I, I could say, you know, I want to live a normal life, like the normal years of my experience. I didn't want to take a taxi. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, so, so, um, because they didn't, didn't they? Yeah, they wanted you to go to. They didn't want you to go to Benelli, did they? John Bright's John Clandino, Bright, yeah, which was yeah, a newer yeah. school. I think it was did built want, did, did in twenty ten or something. I could have got. I could be getting. I, I could be remembering this wrong now. I'm not sure, but did they want you to go to like a disabled school or something as well, or am I just getting that wrong? Oh, um, 
no, go. You're thinking of Go Golf. No, no, no. The um, Go Golf for listeners who don't know. Go Golf is a um, special school for disabled uh, people. Um, I think I think it's more for learning disabilities, and because I don't have a learning disability, I would not be mentally <laughs> I would not be mentally pushed there. So they didn't want me to. I mean, there was talks to me. My mum was sort of sending me to go to St David's, which was a private school, um, and they do. It's a bit like Rydal, but they, which is another private school. But they wanted me to go to there to, um, so I'd be treated better, like because they can more sort of suit a timetable specialized to you. But it would have, it was a private school, so you know we didn't really have the money yeah. for. It. So, so were you excited to go to secondary school then, or were you happy? Were you thinking, oh, this is going to be a new chapter, or were you a bit apprehensive, or were you a bit scared? So, talk me through the emotions of what you're feeling. About the secondary school experience, I I, I felt quite not because I was disabled. I was just a bit like because it was much more daunting. So I wasn't I wasn't like oh yeah let's go to secondary school. I was quite daunting. I didn't really I didn't know how it was going to play out. Um, it felt all new. Um, you know I think my mum said when you put I put my uniform I started crying to be honest with you because I was just in uh, I was just in pure. I was just in pure like shock. Really, I looked, you know, like you know, a lot of team, you know, like team. I was like, oh, this is this is this is mental, really. Do you know what I mean? Um, I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to. Uh, you know, sort of. I missed sort of elements of primary school. I was like, oh, those elements are going to be there. Those barriers won't be there. Um, you know, I I remember being very exhausted in year seven. I was very because of the walking around on the bank and stuff like that. Hill. It was very exhausting. Like I'd come home and I'd just be exhausted and carrying my bag and whatnot. But it was just, it was just a very, uh, it was just a very tiring time to be honest with you. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was quite exhausted. Um, and I was, I tell you what, I was really scared about was losing my friendships with the people I made in primary school to high school. And some was, of the friends was that because you felt like they've known you, like uh, throughout your whole primary school, they get it that. I've got a disability, but they don't care. And did you think it was going to be harder for the new people that you met in secondary school to ex- like just treat you normal and not treat you the same? No, no, no. It, I just, I'm quite a loyal person in general. Maybe that is, might be because of subconsciously. Maybe that's a part of Maybe, but I, I, I didn't want to just think. And unfortunately, some people that I made friends in primary school, I did lose contact with, you know, but I, I've kept, you know, I would say, you know, I've kept about, in terms of close friends, I've kept probably about three of them, I would say, um, three of them in primary school, and they're still my friends today. You know, we hang around in school. You know, and facts, and so that that's definitely not a problem. But I did, um, I was so scared about losing people because, you know, people kind of, you know, but you know, I think everyone felt a bit like that. But I remember it was going around and around in my head, and that is another part of my condition. I'll obsess over something. I'll over obsess and over analyze something. I'm a big sort of thinking, and I'll think if I get something in my head, I will not shut up about that thing. It'll keep going yeah. and going and going. Yeah. And for, for the listeners, will why don't you list off or try and explain to them some of the um, ha- having um, cerebral palsy makes you feel and make how does it make you think on a day to day? Like how, like how does it affect your life? Like mentally, would you be like, uh, like you say, you compulse over stuff? Well, you know, I'm talking in, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, how does it affect yeah, your day today? Yes. Um, that's a question because it's changed throughout my time. 
how I am mentally wasn't the same how I was as a teenager. Earlier on, so like year seven or something. Um, how did how, like how did that make you feel having cerebral palsy? Because if I can remember rightly, was there anyone else that had cerebral palsy in the secondary school? No. no. So there was other people that had disabilities, though, wasn't there? Yeah, they're more learning disabilities. But there wasn't like any people with physical disabilities. There was no one with physical disabilities I can think of. There was nobody with a physical disability. Uh, to tell you the truth, because I, I can't really remember. Um, and that's the thing, so, because I'd go down to, say, the unit or the SS to do, like, support studies, and there was no one here. I was like, oh, these people, not I anything bad about them, but obviously yeah. we couldn't have a conversation so much. And just to expand off what I was saying, so let's go into talk about how having cerebral palsy affected your schoolwork and how, um, like, your writing and your reading, and how was, how was the schoolwork for you during the early stages of secondary Oh, school. it was exhausted. I remember just being exhausted. And I think it was it was a mixture of the schoolwork, but it was also the fact you have to organise your bag with the school books in, you have to take it out. And that's all part of my problem. Yeah, you know? and an organisation and, and With the timetable, yeah. And you have to do the timetable. You have to organise it. And it was also the fact of the walking around. Because in primary school, they you have one teacher or two teachers, and they all come to you. You have to go to there. So I remember walking around was so exhausting and um, lunchtime was quite difficult actually because for some reason <laughs> when it was lunchtime people would just sprint to the canteen. It makes no sense. If you, if you think, I was thinking about this the other day, it makes no sense now that why at lunchtime, because you imagine, you know, in a working environment, you know, I, I, I work for, you know, I, I, I work for a humanitarian charity. When it's lunchtime, I don't get to sprint to lunchtime. I get up and, oh, it's lunchtime. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've noticed even children now, not children, but teenagers, whatever, I've seen, uh, they all still sprint, the young children all still sprint to lunchtime. Yeah. But like, I don't know what that reason is. There's no, there's no, it makes no sense. It it actually means that a lot of children do it, it's a recurring thing year after year, so there there must be something mentally going on with, you know, that would make... Because in primary school, we never ran to the, in primary school, we never ran to the canteen. Like, but in secondary school, run down. It was always everyone had to not run. Um, obviously, this was sort of sorted because um, I got special because pr- they found out that dealing with food, food, you know, whatever, you know, with the crowds because we're dealing with the crowds that difficult. So what they actually did was they um, what they actually did was said, right, well, Dylan, you can skip the queue then, and not not the queue of lunch queues, but the queue to get into the canteen. If that makes sense, yeah, because you there was remember. a queue to get into yes, the canteen. Yes, and then once it wasn't a the big canteen, canteen. It wasn't a big canteen. You're, once you're in the canteen, then you've got another queue. So there's two queues basically. And if you're basically if you're not at the front of that queue, you can miss your whole lunch. That's time. what I mean. You know, you might not get any lunch, which I think is quite a flawed system. To be honest with you, I think well, they should do it. I think better. the school now is dealing it. They've got that one open place to have 15 outside so you don't get sandwiches and stuff but it was it was very hard as well um you know it was, it was very very difficult really it was and it also with money and stuff like you'd lose it was more responsibility the organization and so i was very exhausted yeah because your handwriting you don't have the best handwriting do you? but i don't think that might i might be down on myself course i'm not too sure yeah but the, the reason you know you, what i'm trying to say is you don't have the best handwriting so you no. have to have a Scriber, yes, yes. Yeah, TA, I had a TA, TA, TA. from year 7 to year 11. 13, 13. Year 13. Mm. So, uh, what for the listeners there, what, can you explain what what would your TA, who we know very well, she's a lovely woman. Well, I had a few TAs. You know, yeah. yeah. What what would her responsibilities be to help you with your condition? On the day to day operation. Class with you. Yeah, yeah. 
every day for all the classes that you see. So how how would she help you think from the day to day stuff? On the day to day operations, um, she would uh, write my book for me. She would organize my timetable for me. She'd write. We'd have remember those homework planners. She'd write down homeworks I'd do and look at. Um, and she would um, she would she would color code stuff. She would. Um, she'd also carry my bag a bit. In the younger years, like year seven, eight, she'd carry a bag a bit because it was quite heavy. It was a bag of books and walking around. Um, and yeah, just, just stuff like that, really. She was very good. And also, if we had anything like, um, say, P, she'd help me change because I couldn't change quickly to go out and pee, do my yeah. shoes, type my trainers. And she, she, she used to be in the changing rooms. No, we, we, used to go into we had room, a disabled right? cubicle. Yeah. Um, no, so there were two, for those who don't know, there were two PE changing rooms, new changing rooms, the old ones. The old ones, I'd get changed into an office by the PE, by, by the PE staff, and she'd just look at them, change up the clothes, fold them, make sure they weren't creased, go out, they go out. And then in the new ones, she would, um, we'd actually have a cubicle, so get out of the thing. But it, it wasn't, it was just because I couldn't do it quick enough. Yeah, I know. Because, you know, you know, that's how it, how and, it was. And, you know, that's fair play to her for helping. Because I did, I think not a lot of TAs would have assumed that as their responsibility. Yeah, yeah, you know? fair play to her. But I kind of felt like a bit like I missed out the boys, the boy banter room and the yeah, change room. To be honest, you, you did. Yeah, you I mean, sometimes it. I was there, but yeah. it was just it was either do that and not get ready for pee or do you know what I mean? So I do, yeah. I do kind of regret that. But then at the same time, I need that help. So you know, who, what are you gonna do? Do you know what I mean? That's it. That's it. And um, so yeah, we've talked about year seven. We've talked about that. So we get up until like year eight, year nine, year ten, we start thinking about, you know, GCSEs mm. and we start thinking about like, oh, what are we going to do, blah, 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 exams. Do you remember what GCSEs you took? Yes. So I took uh, Resistant Materials, which is a design technology subject with uh, wood, steel and plastic. You basically make stuff. Um, I took History and I took uh, Public Services. So, did you enjoy those subjects? Oh, well, what did them. you like about them? Well, I I kind of wanted to go into... I didn't want to be a police officer or go into the military. And so, so yeah, but that was one of... That was you explain to the listeners why, uh, why you wanted to go into the Navy and what happened with the Navy? Yeah, well, um, for people, I've always wanted the military, so I wasn't sure, you know, because I thought... I really did, because the subject of public services, you look around different uniform subjects. So, it was either... Um, I remember wanting to go in the RAF as a pilot, um, and then I, I wasn't sure. Then I thought, oh, I know, I might go as army as a tank driver. And then I thought, oh, I know, I'll be a dog handler for the army, or um, a dog or an intelligence officer for the army. But I remember the navy had a talk in school, um, and I wanted to. Um, after the list, I like, oh, I really want that because you get to travel the world. So that. And I, to be honest, I'm not really, I never really viewed myself as working off a job. I'm a practical person. So I was like, yeah, that, that would suit me really well. I'll travel the world. So I, I had a lot of jobs in my head in the Navy. I wanted to be a pilot in the Navy. I wanted to be a gunner on the helicopter. I wanted to work as a diver. Or I think um, diffuses bombs and, uh, you know, like, like stuff like that. Deep sea diver. I want to work for a submarine service. Um, now I I'd sort of right, right I'm gonna be Navy because I sort of thought should I be a policeman and I thought oh, I want to do be in the Navy. So basically, you had it in your mind and you were set on either becoming a policeman or getting into the military. That's, yes, that you were set on. at that stage, yeah. yeah. But then after the Navy talk, it was 100 percent Navy. Navy. I really I really wanted to really be a Navy. Had your heart oh set yeah, I wanted to be a they call them seaman. <laughs> I wanted to be a seaman. Yeah. Um, and um, so basically, I. 
I remember speaking to Creative Advisor, she rang up the uh, naval office in Wrexham and, and I said, look, I've got this important page. And she said, oh, look, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think you can come in, but there's a good chance we'll let you in, maybe. I remember being much heartbroken because I kind of set my whole uh, life of wanting to be yeah, there. And how it, did you feel when you found out that information? Oh, I felt so low. How I mean, low were you for, were you low for a while? Or I, would, you... I would say for the rest of year 11 going into sixth form, I kind of felt low. Yeah. Really low because it was like, did you feel like they just weren't giving people a chance? Yes, chance. yes, uh, yeah, I exactly. But the thing is, I remember, I remember part of the book services. We went on, we went on to the Ashton and it was like a military day, um, and we did all these activities. And I remember one of the um army TAs because we had to give us a territorial army cook to me, and they were like, Oh, you're really good. Have you ever considered a job in the army? And I was like, Oh, no, I go navy, and then he'd have a little banter. But I, I kind of thought back and thought, well, that's quite helpful, isn't it? If the tutorial army are saying they would happily have me, maybe they're a shot for me. Because there was doubt of me going into the Navy. And I remember being obsessed about it. I really wanted to go to the Navy. I really wanted to go to the Navy. So I, I, I was just a bit like, oh, but that gave me some hope. And I was like, yes. And then, um, unfortunately, that, that happened. So I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? But, you know, they, they explained why. They said that you wouldn't be very good in combat. A combat situation and I get that that um technologies and that I think I think there can be a future where disabled people can be in the military and serving active roles. Yes, I do maybe. believe that. I just yeah. the timing was wrong. I think yeah. we're but I reckon in about twenty, twenty five years we could see that. Did they not say anything about like non combatants? No. Like no, no, no. Because you still need to be trained. You still need to be trained like if you were to go to war because you get caught you could get called into it. Because I said, well files would be like an engineer. No, it could be. And um, also, if you work on the carriers, um, you're trained, say that carrier was to get sunk, you're trained to get into any sort of flying vehicle, fly off like a plane or a helicopter. So if I couldn't man the controls, you know, I'd, I'd be... Thinking, but what they said was, you know, you could die and you could put people at risk. So I was like, yeah, I, I get that. But I remember being so low. I was angry. I was, to be honest, angry I was a bit system, angry yeah. at the system and I was angry at the Navy for a while, yes. You know, I, I felt quite... Um, funny for a bit with anything sort of military for a while because I was like well I kind of really set my heart on being there and feeling about it yeah. for about a month or so I was just like you know yeah. and Jordan, Jordan I understand that you know that was that must have been so hard for you to go through that and like you know then basically not want you basically that's, that's how it felt yes like that's exactly how it felt you know? 100% yeah right so also Jordan those early years in secondary school um, years I can't remember it could have been year 8, 9, 10 we started something called the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Yes. Where we, first of one was the Bronze Duke of Edinburgh Award. I can't remember what year that might have been. I think it was year nine where we, the Bronze year Duke 10 of Edinburgh. It was. Year, 10. year nine, year 10. And then obviously people know you got silver or gold. But um, let's, I just want to talk about, I want you to explain to the listeners um, your thoughts about doing Duke of Edinburgh and what your Duke for like the first silver, Bronze and Silver Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, explain to the listeners how you felt doing that and did you enjoy it and how, how did you get through was it hard for you you know you know, you know what I mean oh uh, yeah um, of course so I actually quite surprised myself at Broad Bronze because I thought I'd be the slowest but I wasn't in our group I wasn't the slowest person so I was like oh, I'm actually quite good then in Silver so Bronze did quite well and everyone, everyone was very very happy in fact uh, I remember the DOV teacher saying at the time, before doing it, saying, I want to do it, saying, oh, it's going to be very hard for you. I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to do it. And she said, you're going to do it? I was like, yeah, but no. I said, no, I'm going to do it. 
Yeah, and then I said, well, yeah, I am going to do it. And then I just did it. You know, I um, I did, it, you know, did Bomb Street Cabana right after that. Miss Lance said to my mum, she said, uh, she said, well, I'm not going to retire until he's done bronze, silver and gold, because that was a challenge to set. And it kind of fell back to swimming and had to jump, which I was doing when I was young, because I don't let anything stop me. Um, so, uh, for, your li- for, listeners, uh, for the listeners, when I did my silver, I wasn't really mentally and physically in best, best shape. I gained a lot of weight, and I was quite fit. And this was because right after the Navy, um, I not realised that once what I wanted to do. Because a big part of doing Duke Federal was, well, if I'd done bronze, silver, and gold, because at the time, I don't think there were many people in the country who'd done that. I was like, that would be proof enough to say to Navy, oh, I've done that. Um, but obviously, what the uh, I remember us having not um, me having not an argument, but um, a lively debate with the naval officer saying, "Yeah, but what if I become Paralympian fit? Which you doing? Like, no, it's not my way of Paralympian fit if you can't pass tests." I said, oh, "Okay, then." So basically, then I um, so I did silver, but I didn't use so well in silver. I um, was very, very much in fit, and I remember. Yeah, but silver was harder as well. Yeah, it was, but I got very bad at dehydrating. I remember starting being sick and just kind of water. If you can uh, remember, I can remember. And then I had to. I you know they said Dylan, you've walked enough. Now it's just just kind of. I thought they were trying to. They, yeah, they were trying to get you on the bus to go back to the campsite instead of walking. And I didn't want to, but I had to end up going on the bus because you know they think I'm probably right. I'm just probably pass out. Yeah, because you were drinking water just for listeners to paint the picture of it you drink a load of water and because your body needed the water for some you for some reason your body was thrown back up the water I think it's because I drank it too quick if that makes sense I wasn't drinking water up there I hadn't yeah. really trained for it because you, you need to sort of train for it really if that makes sense I don't know if you'd have to train for it well, yeah, yeah 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 I, 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 I think, think, you, I think you just need to have a good level of fitness not, 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 no not like stupidly train for it but you need to sort of go on walks that's what I'm saying you have to have a level of fitness and like a base level fitness I kind of lost the base level fitness um, so I remember getting you know, called back and I thought, oh yeah, this is, this is. And he's like, yeah, you haven't got anything to prove, but I did because I couldn't keep up with you guys and that was in my mind. So, you know, I, I did silver and then this actually is quite an interesting time. So when I was feeling uh, quite upset and down on myself, I wouldn't say depressed because I wasn't depressed, but, um, you know, definitely sad. I started watching the, the Wall Streets and I'd watch it over and over again, like re- re- religiously almost. And then I think it was a combination of sort of, I don't condone anything, any of like the drug taking or whatnot, but you know, I know stuff like that obviously it's wrong, but like um, what I didn't, what, what what kind of appealed to me was, was that, um, and it's like these people here, it doesn't matter if you're disabled or not, they're very good at speaking, I'm very good at speaking, very good at, con- you know, um, convincing people. I can, um, you know, I can make money, I can, nice house, go to fancy things, you know, have beautiful women. And, and bear in mind, this is from this point of a, a 17, 16, 17 year old boy. So yeah, that's, 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 that's appealing. I'll do that. So then I kind of changed my A-levels so I could become a stockbroker, basically. That was all my dream was I'm a stockbroker. And so, so before you go into the A-level stuff and whatever, how did you do in your GCSEs? Did you do well? Or? Yeah, I figured all right. Um, I got a few, I think I got two free A's, loads of B's and loads of C's, so I did, quite I did well. very well. Yeah, so yeah. you had a lot of confidence going into yes, A-levels. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, but I wanted to be a stockbroker, which is a quite different thing before because I went from wanting to be a public servant and being like a hero to saying, like, you know what, I just want to be, you know, do these things myself. I was quite angry at society at the time. 
because I didn't feel like society really had a society of a place for me. So I thought, oh, well, forget it. I'm just going to do my own thing. But obviously, with, with um, I think with uh, with what, what made me stop wanting to be a stockbroker, the main reason was was that um, I watched a six minute interview in Australia on Jordan Belford, and what they were saying was, you know. He didn't just trip off from really rich people as the film portrays rich stuff like members of the middle class. And I kind of saw my family like that and I thought, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not like that. So I, why would I want to be that? Um, and that was sort of in my mid-60s. So I, I don't really want to be that. I mean, I want to do well for myself. And I was always quite political, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, but um, yeah, so it was a very turbulent time for me. You know, I had a lot of anger in me. So I wanted that thing to be like, yeah, look at me. I'm better, I've got this car, big house, this beautiful girl, and it doesn't matter if I'm disabled, and I'm still, you know what I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the king, you know what I mean, I'm the don, you know what I mean, so that was when I kind of switched to my A-levels, I wanted to do business studies at ICT, and I wanted to do economics in, um, which is the link course to Aries, which was a neighbouring school for me, but for some reason, because even though economics is a maths, maths-based subject, and, uh, well, emotional economics, or macroeconomics isn't, it's more of like thing, but you needed to be in English language. I got a C. And I remember they had six months into me because it's Aries and Brunelian and we're like their rivals. They'd expect you to get a B, so unfortunately not that. So I did travel tourism instead, which was sort of like the business of uh, tourism. So I didn't do A-levels I was particularly passionate about, like say history and stuff like that. I mean, I enjoyed, you know, elements of business, but I did it because I thought this is what's going to get me to become a stockbroker. But then I'll just say something that dream when I realised it's quite corrupt. I didn't want to be like that. Yeah, it's quite, it is quite toxic. No, yeah. It's quite toxic. Like, oh, I'm going to make loads of money. I'm going to get the girl. I'm going to do this. But, you know, that's... Multiple girls. That was all my thinking towards it. But, you know, yeah. again, for listeners, I was a 16-year-old boy who just had their dream of wanting to maybe being pulled out under them. You know, I was in a very soft, not a vulnerable place, but I needed my... I felt like I was no good at anything. I was sad. I was very upset. And that was the only comfort of it will get better when I become a, a stockbroker. You know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously it's wrong that, and you know, I do regret going down that sort of mentality in yeah. my lifestyle, right. my life. So um, you go in. Let's so you go into we go into A levels. Mm. Um, you start doing your A levels from sixteen to eighteen. Um, how did that go for you? How, what was sixth form as an experience like as a whole? <laughs> how did you enjoy doing your subjects? How, first of all, how did you enjoy the subjects at the start of it? Were you doing good at them? Did you enjoy them? In the end, I, I didn't really enjoy ICT. Business I enjoyed. Uh, travel tourism was okay. Um, because but these subjects weren't the subjects I was passionate about. I was passionate about history. I should have done history. Business, maybe PE or something. Um, it doesn't really matter what A-levels you do because that doesn't necessarily define what job you're going to be. But at the time, you'll see that, no. you know, you can do whatever you want and do whatever. Um, but I, I liked business a lot. I wasn't a big fan of ICT. I don't travel tourism was okay. It was a bit like, um, it's very similar to sort of like um, human geography or elements of, you know, how you got, uh, you, you probably know yourself because you did geography and we have physical geography, human geography. Elements of Calvin Tourism fit well human geography. Um, maybe I'm looking back on it. I should have done geography, really, thinking about it. Because um, I remember my geography teacher being really surprised I didn't select geography for my GCSE lessons. Um, and I could have done a huge... Because human geography is very similar to economics, and I quite enjoy economics. So, yeah, that, that that was one of the things, maybe. But you can't wish away, you know, this was, you know, you know, 
Um, so we finish. So we fin. You do your first year. Yeah. How did that go? How, what was your mental health like in that first year? Six one. Oh, good. Was about. Oh no, no, I I didn't like A levels at all. In fact, before going into A levels, I really want to go. I wanted to go to college and do business media uh, and something else. And then was like, no, go, you know, go, go to six four because you get. Yeah, you get the support six form, even though it's not much, you do get some help. And I, I remember, cause I remember, I remember the six form because it was you and a few other lads. And we, I don't think we went to watch a film, but we were at the, uh, McDonald's in Hudson Junction and we were all talking about, about six form. I remember just sitting there with my drink, looking out the window, having nothing but pure dread in my heart, thinking, oh, I really wouldn't really be here at all. So I knew going into it, I wasn't going to enjoy it really. Um, when I got into school, I mean, look, I'm really honest with you. Um, it was a lot harder to be honest with you. No one really prepared it for you like that. I think some school teachers, I'm not saying all of them, but wanted you to stay in sixth form because it makes their numbers look better. If you stay in sixth form, it is, and they get more funding and stuff. Like exactly, that. but it didn't really prepare me. And I, I, I sort of, I was never really a naughty student, but I kind of, I felt like I became like a um naughty uh, student to be you know I do sh- completely sh- I think it's just more rebellious maybe. rebellious yeah, yeah it wasn't insane because I was bored I wasn't like that but it's because I was unhappy I was I felt like a tiger in a cage and I was just I hated it yeah because I remember you just come in and you just have your earphones on it looks like you didn't want to be there you know you look you look you had dread on your face you just I just like you said, you've told me this before. Yeah, yeah. You 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 just weren't in a good mental spot. Mentally, no. Yeah, mentally you just weren't mentally there in six form. You know. And that's like I said, it's down to various reasons, you know. Yeah. I gained a lot of weight in six form as well. I I, I was about No, because I remember at the start of six form, you didn't you didn't have that much weight on you. But as we journeyed into six form, you, you like you say you start putting I must have been about I'm I mean I've gained a bit of weight since pandemic, but I was about um I think 15, sort of 16 stone. And then for your, the time for your height, it's a lot, isn't it? I would say I was borderline obese, I would say. I was very, very, you know, it wasn't even like, oh, he's got a bit of fat on him. I was actually just fat, if that makes sense. You know, none of the clothes fit me. I felt comfortable in clothes. My shirt would, um, if you would put my six on the shirt, you wouldn't see it, by the way. If you put my shirt, shirt, it, would, it wouldn't come all the way down, so my, my belly would be showing, basically, uh, because shirts didn't fit me. Um, so, but basically, what happened was, uh, in when I, in preparation to do my Gold Duke of Edinburgh, which I wasn't even sure about doing, because I wasn't even meant to say before, you know, I should do it, because it's something to do. I started really hitting the gym. I did, when I did about two hours a day on like a treadmill sort of thing. It was like set, set, set mill, set master, was it? Probably set master. Something like that. Yeah. And I ate nothing but chicken and rice and drank water and I lost a little weight. I lost, I, the slimmest I got was around 12 stones. So I lost a little weight and I was ready to go and go to Duke of Edinburgh. And I, I did it and, I, and it, was, it was amazing. I was fit as I was my life. So, so yeah, that, that brings us on to Gold Duke of Edinburgh because that was in between year 12 and year 13, the transitional period between them. Yes. And so, what was your experience with Gold of Ember? So oh, I, we had to, we did a practice one in the Yorkshire Dales, <laughs> and then we did the real one up in Snowdonia. Yes. And how, how did you enjoy that? No, we did it around. We did the proper one in Yorkshire, practice in Snowdonia. Oh, sorry, the other way yes, around. Yes, we practiced Snowdonia, sorry, and then we did the real mm. one in the Yorkshire Dales. Um, well, to be honest with you, I remember doing the practice. And in... And burned it for the, for the listeners. The Duke, Gold Duke of Edinburgh Award is, obviously it's the hardest one you can do, 
Um, it's over four nights, five days, I'm pretty sure, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite long. It's, it's nearly a whole week long. But I would say so, yeah. 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 You get like four or five hours sleep a night. You yeah, know, I can't actually coffee. remember the cold nights yeah. or the exact days, but it was around four yes, nights, yes, five yes. days. It could have been three nights, four days. But anyway, it was it was a, it was an, it was an endurance thing. It you was, know, it was hard. It was even for someone who isn't doesn't have a disability. It was very hard. So for Dylan to do it, you know, it was amazing. Right? Mm, you know, yeah, it is. And um, so I was doing gold. You can remember doing the practice, and um, I was in Snowdonia. It was Snowdonia, and we got to a point, and it was where we went. You remember this? We went up on the mountain. Yeah. Do you remember that? And they wouldn't let me go again, yeah. and I was like. Oh, this, this is outrageous. You know what I mean? How, yeah, yeah. you know, you can't treat me like that. Like, no, and, and I can do it. Yeah. Uh, but they knew without, look, you've done it. You've done it. No, if it's only a practice. Like, no, no, no. I can do it. I'm happy to sign off. I remember teaching saying, I have to sign off. I said, I don't, I think it's true. I don't care. You have to sign off. I'm not happy. Yeah. I want to do it. And I, I remember I was like, don't do it. Come back here. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. Do you know what I mean? So I had to wait by the bus. And it was so humiliating. I, I know she was doing it for my own good. Um, and it was, you know, then good. But I was just like, this is unbelievable, you know. What I mean? <laughs> you know, you know, and um, and uh, I remember one of the teachers uh, saying to me that um, you were like a dog when it tells the owner to stay, and you were just like, and I was a bit like that, right? I was like, oh, we're a team and whatnot. So you know, I remember going to the bus, took the bus out. I was not, I was quite upset about it. I think you all kind of thought, oh, sorry, well, no, I didn't. I remember one of the lads saying, one of the lads we know was saying to me like, listen. Listen, they all think you're amazing. Back at the campsite, they've all been, I was like, I don't care. I really don't care. It doesn't bother me. I haven't, I haven't achieved the, the mission. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. you know, that was just another another bit of your life where someone's telling you you can't do. something. Yes, yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter. Oh, you're amazing. I didn't do the task to do it. I have failed it. That was how I saw it. I was like, I said the goal one. I said I remember saying to one of the teachers, like, I'm doing the full goal. Yeah, you are. I was like, yeah. So um, I remember doing the full goals. Oh, so, yeah, we went to the Yorkshire Dales then to do yeah. the real one. And the thing about the difference between Snowdonia and the Yorkshire Dales was Snowdonia was a lot harder than the Yorkshire Dales one. Snowdonia was Obviously, the mountains in Snowdonia. So um, basically, I think what they kind of did that was if you could do Snowdonia, there's no problem. Yeah, you can do it was the Yorkshire Dales. Oh, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? That was the idea towards it. And um, that went smooth, right? Everything I did, and it was fine. But I remember. Um, I remember there, there was a girl in our group and she was quite upset. I remember holding her and I looked, I looked and I said, uh, you know, you're really well, you do nothing. This is the first time I actually spoke about my condition to actually sort of aspire this person to keep going. And I said, listen, you're really well, you're like a max truck, you're amazing, you keep going, you know, and if I can do it, you can sure as hell do it, sir. And she was like, oh, yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if that uh, meant anything to her. I, I, I just figured, oh, she's feeling down. I didn't do it as, Oh, I missed the motivation. I did it like one of my team members are really feeling I need to sort of do the best of my ability. And uh, yeah, that's why I did. I use my sort of communication to sort of say, look, it's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's not bad. It's hard, but I'm doing it and you can do it. And I believe in you. You're doing so well, you know. And, and I think that got a, you know, a bit sort of, she woke up a bit and was like, oh, okay, yeah, better. You know, if he's telling me I can't do it, you know what I mean? I, it must be true. But I remember, um, I think it was the parents in the after that, uh, or something, the DV teacher, the main one, conducted to them. You know, I don't think you realise what your son's role is in that group. It's everyone gets motivated off him. And I said, I remember saying to her, I said, that's not a real role. I was like, yeah, it is. I like, no, no, map reading's a real role. Cooking's a real role. These are real roles. That's not a real role. It's like, 
Yes, it is. <laughs> no, it isn't. Do you know what I mean? How is that a real role? That makes no sense. There's no, what am I actually practically doing? I'm not doing something. No, no, that's your thing. People look at you and they'll look at themselves and they'll carry on going. That's what I said. That's, you've hit the nail on the head there. That's what it is. People, when people are feeling tired and down on TV, like even myself, you know, I'd be like, I'd look at you and, mm. and, and I, I'm just going to let the, view, the listeners into something. They'll literally push themselves to hell and back on Duke of Edinburgh goals. Even silver bronze, especially on goal, obviously he was like a walking zombie. And I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not exaggerating. That. You weren't even in your brain at some points on that TV. You're in so much pain. You were going through mentally. You know, you're walking the same amount of miles as any able-bodied person. Yes, do. yes, yes. And you're like a zombie. Like a man who's actually flipping you a zombie. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. And I'm, I can only say this because I'm your friend. Sometimes I'd look back and, and I'd have a little chuckle to myself because I think, oh, you know, I, I don't know if it's bad or good, but I know oh, I'm, oh. I'm your, one of your good friends. So yeah, I'm you say, can't I think to myself, oh, you know what? He's going through some pain. But, you know, fair play. But like I said, it motivated me. It motivated everyone there. And like I said, I think we were one of the best TV groups. I think so, because uh, one of your P- oldest PE teachers, um, Mr. Jones, he was my favourite teacher all time. He was a legend. Actually got a bit teary when our group came in. And me and him have always had a good relationship. I mean, he's always, I've always said him proud of him. His praise always been well to me. I'm very respectful of him, you know, and he, he's a really good teacher. And he, you know what I mean? I actually wrote him. I remember for his last day when he was retiring, I wrote the card out saying he really motivated me. You know what I mean? Because he was one of the first teachers. Like, um, I remember once we were doing a change in the, uh, this was like year seven or the um, old, old page and changing all that. And he was like, because uh, I think he, he was a paratrooper. If I can remember, he was a paratrooper. And um, basically, he um, he said, right, he quickly was like a real, like, I expect 10 presses, blah, blah, blah. And I remember us doing uh, rugby, and I put I put in such a show. I mean, I was not a good rugby player at all, but because I carry on, he looked in front. Oh, you know, you're amazing. You know, you, 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 and it, and because of that, he said, you're amazing. You are a superstar. I don't think you mean to say. You know what I mean? A bit like more. My mum said, my primary school teacher said, everyone. I don't think you really realise. I was like, oh, you know, you know, I was just, you know. And he said, you know, and he, to make him quite tearful, was on. I, I actually wrote my card again, what with Johnny Walker, to thank him. You know, for his service, because he really, you know, you're scared, you're seven, he really brought me into my own, I became, I loved sport, and, you know, he was a really, uh, it was a really emotional, well, emotional, but, yeah, I suppose, I suppose it was emotional, Duke, Duke of Edinburgh. I think people have this newfound respect for me, I think, a lot of teachers are like, oh, yeah, he's, he's the real deal, but I didn't really see any of that at the time, obviously, I'm only reflecting about it now, really, to be honest with you, but, yeah, yeah. And then we got our Global Duke of Edinburgh Awards and then we were invited down to St. James's Palace. Yes, yes, it's freezing. It was so cold. And I remember, I remember like, you know, I have a suit on, it's freezing because St. James, those of you who don't know, St. James Palace is the palace that Charles would have slept in before he became Coronation King. Um, and it was freezing. Oh, it was so cold. And um, we we had a motivational speakers, but I, I think Bill forgot it. I was actually going to speak at the uh, awards money back in our school. I, I didn't want to speak about it originally because I was like, I'll give it to someone like you who's, you know, really sporty. Just, just to some listeners know, yeah. so basically um, we did the Duke of Edinburgh goals stuff and uh, the organiser of it wanted to put on an awards ceremony. That they do every year? That they do every year. 
and they wanted you to speak at this award ceremony. It was in the canteen, it was in front of all the parents, it was at the school, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. And I didn't want to speak to it because I said to my she said, I want you to speak to it. And I said, oh, I see. And I remember her saying to me, oh, well, why, why do you want me to speak to it? She goes, because you're inspirational. People go, it's like, and I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I was just think about it. And I was like, Ah, oh, fine. Because I don't like talking about my condition in public. Because I don't want to be defined as my condition. Um, there are a lot of the same people who like to talk about their condition. Um, you know, I was very hesitant to come and talk about it on the podcast or for this episode. But um, you know, I you know, I how long? Because it wasn't my idea. It was your idea. But it was my idea. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to get this in now. The reason why I think it's a very valuable thing for Dill to talk about what his life is and what he's done in his life and obviously in further into this podcast we'll get um, more information on what Dill's done more recently than school is as you've said before it's to inspire young boys and girls or um, whatever they you know identify as as people who don't even necessarily have condition is Nothing in life should hold you back. Yeah. And I want young people, not even young people, everyone who listens to this podcast to listen to Dill's story and be motivated by it. Because I know I am. And I, uh, to be motivated and for young children to stay with conditions to have a role model and a hero to look up to. Because that's what you are, Dill. You're a hero. Oh, I don't know. No, you're absolutely <laughs> God. I'm a hero. <laughs> oh, <brilliant. laughs> Captain America. No, I, I, I wouldn't say. No, you're hero. not Captain America. You're not as good as him. Well, obviously, I'm not as good as him. No, but, uh, no, but honestly, God, no, I'm, not just, I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that to lick your bum or whatever, you know. It feels like it. <laughs> no, honestly, though, you're a hero and you're so motivational and, you know, and... If people are feeling down about themselves and they can't do anything in, in their lives, they should, you know, the, the theory is they should listen to this podcast and they can hear you and your story and how you never let your condition hold you back. You know, young boys and girls will listen to this to be like, oh, I can look up to Dill. Because remember you said you were telling me the other day when you were younger, you didn't have no, anyone. Well, no, that's the mean though, if you were disabled, um, you're only shot. And now this isn't a... This isn't a shot at the Paralympics, I love the Paralympics, but it was not necessarily that, but the only way for you to, if you were disabled, the only way for you to achieve a happy life, you know, if you're a man, you know, get a wife, house, kids, car, whatever, would be to be in the Paralympics, but I thought, well, what if you don't want to be in the Paralympics? What if you want to, I don't know, be in a trade or working off the shop or set your own business up or join the military or whatever you want to do other things, if that makes sense. Um, but there was not really many people who are like that. It was either the ones who made it really famous through sport. And um, so there wasn't really, it just felt a bit like, well, that was your option, but I didn't choose. And that with the swimming, I, you know, I don't want to be well, one of the people like, could have been a Paralympian, but they were trying to train me for Paralympian. But one of the problems was just that um, I could swim backstroke really well, but I didn't, ha- I couldn't do front crawl and need two strokes. They tried me with a butterfly, which I thought was okay, but I just felt, you know, I wasn't really thinking I kind of came out of high school um, because I just wasn't that thing and I wanted to do something else in my life. Um, but, you know, back to this speech that they wanted me to do, they wanted me to do a speech, so I, I did the speech and I was honest about it. It's hard being disabled, but you just got to, you know, keep doing it. People won't get used to society, you just got to keep doing it. But I found that speech very difficult to do and the reason for that was because it was me talking about it. I remember actually doing the words and I was like uh, I was because I didn't know what to do and usually I'm very confident but you know I'm sharing my most intimate 
feelings in not just Chicken Edinburgh, but life to, you know, majority of room for strangers. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, but obviously I think, you know, do you think the speech went all right? I think it went okay, you know what I mean? But I, I do think it went went down a storm. You know, there's a lot of people in there who are looking at you and thinking he, he's amazing. Like, I can't believe he's gone and done this with his disability. And, you know, honestly, I went down a, and for you to get up there and as well to speak, that takes... That takes a lot of guts as well for you to actually get up there, room like I say, room full of strangers, and talk about your intimate feelings and for your life. You know? I think what kind of um, swung it for me was we were having a conversation about it before we said, "Listen, you know, you're going to whoever listens that speak." Because I, I kind of thought, although we got yourself, right? This is about you. You know, you've done this good, amazing thing. It's going to be surely there must be other people with cerebral palsy or any of the conditions will come to this school, especially physical conditions. So you need to, they need to listen. I don't know if they're going to show that speech, we don't, but they need to know that it's going to be okay to do it. So I, it was a duty, it was a public service duty to do, to not just to do it for myself, but to do it for them. Basically, don't do it for you, but do it for them. So I, I did it for them, basically. I remember I was, I was 18 and I was outside a nightclub in, um, on the local nightclub in Broadway. And I was chatting to a lot I hadn't seen in ages. I said, oh, listen, you know, my nephew's got some palsy. I said, how old is he? He goes, four. So going to go Brian, he goes, yes. So I was kind of wondering, well, that kid needs motivation because he isn't going to get it for me because I didn't have a role model growing up. You he, know. he can kind of look at me and be like, oh, well, maybe it'll be okay if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and also, you know, it's like that age old saying, if you could just inspire one, yes, yes, just absolutely. one person, mm-hmm. you've done you've done your job. Yeah, of you, course. You of could course, do course. Put all this effort in and all this effort trying to motivate these young people. And, it, you know, it, like I said, if you could just inspire just one person, yeah, you've done it. You 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 you've completed. That's what I mean. You know, you've done what you set out to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, then um, we've done the developer got whatever. And uh, we're now last year six one now, and everyone's like, oh, university. Yes. Um, everyone's like, oh, what type of university are we gonna go to? Where are you going? You know, it was quite an excitable time because people, it's the next step of people's lives. The of next course, chapter. Yes, yes. So, um, what what was your ideas about university? I didn't want to go to university because of the experience I had in A level. I thought A level would be like university, but it wasn't. So I I was oh, I'm going to university. I'll just get a job, put my way up, and I'll you know, become like you know like Alan Sugar or Richard Branson. You know, because I'm sort of still, I'm still thinking, I'll, you know, I'll be, you know, a millionaire at the stage. Um, and then basically, my dad said to me, he said, Look, just do a degree. It's going to, you know, help you get a job. Just think about it. So I decided to do a degree in college, which was associated or affiliated with Bangor Uni. So it was a Bangor University degree, which is not in Bangor. It was in uh, Rothelsey, for anyone who knows about it, it was a college. So it, I kind of felt like it was my redemption, really, because I remember in uh, year 12, a teacher said to me, well, my teacher said to me, you know, Dylan, Ian Parents, he, he said it in a nice way. He actually said to me, he said, Dylan's a very good student. He works really hard, but I just don't think he could get a degree. I think he's, I just don't think he's there. You know, sometimes you have A students, C students. Dylan just doesn't quite cut the mustard. You know, I'm, I'm just going to cut him here, you know. Obviously, we know who this teacher is. We're not going to name any names. No, but, you know he shouldn't have said that to you. No, no, he no. shouldn't have told you that you couldn't have went. Well, I don't know. I mean, some teachers are like that, and I think he was just giving his honest opinion. Um, I'm not. I was very angry. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, he had his honest yeah, opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it, 
as bad as it is that he said that, it did kind of motivate you. It did, because I was like, well, I'll show him then. So yeah. I went off and I uh, did my college degree and I literally worked on it for hours. I, I'd be up two, three in the morning with assignments and my assignment would be due in for a month. I was such a dedicated worker and I got, you know, I did all right. I got a two one, you know, I was so thingy. And then, you know, I got my degree and I was like, yeah, I did it. And it was this sort of sense of, oh, I, I did it. And obviously when this happened, it was a COVID pandemic. Um, I'd also, because of being bad at maths, um, I'd also reset my maths about six, seven times. And because of the pandemic, they kind of just gave me the C. So I, I made a joke that they said, oh, they just gave it to me on a technicality. But, but then said, no, no, you shouldn't say stuff like that because you work for that hard, you know, because I was a D and I just needed a C. And um, if any of you don't know to get work, as long as you get a degree or at least a C in maths, you should be fine. Do you know what I mean? You earn a C in maths, English, or if you're in Wales, C in Wales. And I think now maybe ICT. Um, as most workspaces now require a computer. Um, so I, I was like, yes, I got my CMAPS and I got my degree after it. And this was, you know, 22, you know, I actually put on Instagram, I finally, I finally got my C at the age of 22. And then, um, my old TA conference, it doesn't matter what age, the point is you never gave up. And now look what you got, I got it. So I got my C and my degree. And then I started thinking, well, what do I want to do? And I was thinking, oh, well, I wanted to go into sort of like advertising or marketing. Um, I kind of thought it'd be wanting to be a stockbroker because I, you know, again, as we said, the moral, the moral, the morality of it. Um, before we go into this, uh, what you did after that, though, let's uh, dive a bit deeper of what life was like for you in college. You know, as um, as a person with with disabilities, did, did you feel like it was different to sixth form, or was it? Yeah, it was a lot different sixth form. Because what, what was different about it? My classroom was they taught treated you more as equal. So it wasn't like you're a child because when being disabled, um, obviously your peers treat you differently, um, because you're a TA. Well, I made it perfectly clear when I was doing my degree, I don't want me class TA. This isn't me saying my TA was bad because I needed it and I do appreciate help, but people did psychology think he could look after himself because yeah. he's got a TA in the classroom. And um, if they didn't think it consciously, so yes, consciously yes, does absolutely, well. absolutely. Um, and um, I said, well, I don't want a TA, okay. Um, and I, I may have said fair enough, you're an adult now. I said, yeah, and I got a, a, I got a, so I had a helper outside of class. So I'd go and see her in college for two hours, a, two hours a day, basically. And, um, you know, it's not two hours a day, two hours a week. Um, I would go over my assignments and sort of help with the planning. But a lot of my assignments I did on my own. I was much more independent. I'm really glad I did that because now I feel like I could work much more independent. Um, and also, I, um, yeah, it was just a completely different atmosphere. It wasn't like, because it was a college, it wasn't like the traditional university, you know, the, I didn't go out a lot. I didn't go out drinking, because I did that when I was in sixth form, you know, I'd go out every weekend and go out clubbing. I didn't do any of that. I was really, really, you know, my mum actually said to me, oh, you need to go out. I can't, I've got a sandwich you mentioned, it's doing like a month still. Go out and enjoy yourself. So I, I kind of felt like, because I had something to prove, I called that my redemption. Those three years of like my redemption. I was like, I need to prove that I can do a degree. And I'll just get a 2 2, but 2 1, get a good degree. You know, and I got a 2 1. And um, yeah, I was so, I'm happy with myself, but it was, it was just working hard. I kept studying the books and I just kept going. And uh, it was, you know, it was amazing, you know, it was, and I got it and I was such an achievement because it was these teachers that I couldn't do it. And now I did do it and I did it and I, you know, I worked hard on it. I never gave up, you know, you know, and I, I don't get it wrong. I'm not necessarily the most academic person. I'm not, I do struggle at reading, but I think that is due to my condition. Um, 
but I I just had to keep going. I don't know there were points I think I failed the course and I didn't, but I got I failed and I got two one. So you just never give up. If you if you want it badly enough and you're willing to work, you're willing to not go out party, you're willing to work, get your degree at two one, and um, you know prove to them that you've done it. Because I did have a chip on my shoulder, but and people said you shouldn't have chips, but in a way that chip kind of moving me, motivated me to be better, basically. Yeah, exactly. So you got your degree, everything was good. Yes. So another topic which we haven't touched on yet, and that kind of brings us up after you've done your degree, kind of around modern day where we are now. But I want to another topic that we wanted to talk about, and it's quite a it's not a sore subject, but it's quite a emotional subject, and you have to take quite care with talking about it. Is what will you know how how does Having a disability, is it harder for you to get with girls? That's a good question. And this is a subject. I mean, I mean, well, you know, well, we yeah, want to, no, well, want to talk about this. Yeah, well. You know, so, you know, it ha- let's go from like, um, what was like, obviously primary school, you don't really get with people. And it's, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, like, kissy cat, kissy cat, yeah. But you played kissy cat alone, did you? Uh, no. Oh, yeah, no boys school here. There was. We did. 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 I, I know what these girls you like, isn't it? Anyway. Yes, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you didn't know, that'd be perfectly fine. No, of course, but no, yeah, you know, unfortunately. No, yeah. no, I'm straight as a yeah, cat. You know, no, it'd probably, actually, it'd probably be a bit easier. Let's not bring up that story. Well, let's, but, let's, uh, not, let's not bring up that yeah. story. Let's, <laughs> maybe in a different podcast. But yeah, so, maybe we're a bit more successful. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about what it's like um, having a condition and what it's like yeah, with girls and yeah, then how course. they might perceive you or see you. So let, let's let's go from there. Well, I can only speak from the male perspective of a disability. And I've always felt dating is a lot harder. I think in school, um, most girls, the majority of girls would speak to me and sort of flirt with me, not because they were interested in me, rather, but because I was a disabled guy, if that makes sense. They would feel like, oh, I've done my bit. I feel good, look at me. Um, but I, I would misunderstood that as, oh, they like me. And I was quite um, shy towards girls. I was a bit, not really awkward, but I was very shy towards them because I always thought humor was a better way. But, you know, they, they would say stuff like, oh, Dale, you're so cute and stuff like that. And it was treating me like a toddler, really. And I didn't like it because I didn't have a learning condition. And, you know, I, 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 you know what I mean? So mentally, I was there. It was just that I couldn't do things. Um, I was not, obviously, because I was a bit heavy. Uh, I wasn't the most attractive person, really. Um, I didn't always have the best hairstyle either um, as well. But, um, you know, it was just, it was very, very difficult. It got quite lonely. I, t- I tell you, have you ever watched um, Toy Story? I've seen Toy Story. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know Toy Story 1 where Woody breaks arms, they put him on a broken shelf. Yeah. That's how I kind of felt towards girls. I was very much like... They want a man, and because physically I will never be that way. That's how they treat me. So I felt broken. I felt this disaffected issue. So it, dating is very difficult with the condition. It isn't easy. It's harder now in this generation because we have stuff like Tinder. And I've, you know, I, I've also tried dating apps and I've just got rid of them and we've got stuff like that, which is, 
it kind of ruins the romance of it and you know it's, it's just thingy so it just doesn't work really i feel so i i, I just got rid of it um but yeah I, I felt pretty broken um you know um you know i recently i you know for a few months i got with my first girl and um as in what as in you like whatever happened yeah yeah, yeah let's, not, let's not go into detail, not go into detail. but um like, you, I, know, you can it you wasn't can, you can yeah. imagine like um it was girl's first time let's yes, say. yeah yeah first time at the rodeo um and um it was a big achievement i in my mind it was like oh my god i've won the cup do you know what i mean yeah, that's how i thought yeah. i won the premier league champions league uh, you know, I won everything, the heavyweight champion of the world. And um, to be honest with you, I thought, well, okay, there is there is hope in me because I didn't believe in that hope until I had needed proof. You know, and I mean, you, there were some dark moments when yes. you thought, you know, I'm now, I'm, I remember you telling me, um, I'm, I'll never get with a girl, girl will only see the condition. Yeah. Um, you know, used to, you know, you um, used to lie in bed at night and think about it. You do, you know, you did. Yeah, yes, you know, yeah. did, I'd, did. Wake up, I'd wake up and like mid sweats, thinking, oh, I'm gonna be lonely forever. And that was especially bad six songs. I remember fancied quite a few. Throughout my full time, I've remember fancied a few girls. They didn't see this, they didn't feel the same way. But they would, I think a few of them, not all of them, but a few of them were a bit like, they only would talk to me because I was disabled or they'd treat me a bit more flirt. They'd flirt with me because I was disabled, not because I was necessarily funny, but they would flirt with me because I was disabled. And it really, and I realised it really got to me. And I, there was a big part of me who wanted to actually to, you're just talking to me because you're disabled. You're only shooting me because I'm disabled. But, you know, I don't blame them because we were teenagers. We were going through all sorts. We were a teenager because the hallway drug gets sleep. So I'm not here to blame the girls in high school about that because that would be very petty of me. But I'm just saying that that was sort of my experience towards that. You know, that's how I kind of felt. I felt like they'll never see me as a potential mate or they'll never see me as a boyfriend material because of the condition, because I'm weak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's kind of what it came down to. Because like that could be like an evolution thing. Maybe. Because, I mean, you we've know, had debates about it. Yeah, we've had debates before where yeah. like, that, that's what's going on subconsciously in a girl's head is, oh, he obviously not for all girls just no. say for some for some girls is oh I need you know I I need to pass on my genes to the next generation I need to find the biggest strongest mate to mate with and then have off have offspring and they've got a better chance of survival that's that's what is that's what's to do with animals animals do that don't they yeah, yeah. but you know so we are animals in the way we are but we are, we are more as I said yeah. in the debate we're much more evolved to that yeah you know we're much know, more evolved and obviously that. that's not the case like I say for every girl no, I would say now the vast majority of girls wouldn't see the condition or they may see the condition but they say look what I've achieved you know they know and also it comes to doing things I remember speaking to a friend of mine and saying you know that's fine that if girls see that, but I know my worth. And that's the big thing. When you're a teenager, you don't know your worth. Anyone. So you'll you'll think to yourself when a girl doesn't want you, you're going to think to yourself, oh, that's my worth because that one girl doesn't like me in school. Hence, I must be worth nothing. But that isn't the case. Um, but yeah, I have I have really struggled with him. Um, but I do believe, you know, eventually I'll get a girlfriend. I, what I'm doing at the moment is... Uh, I'm not focusing on getting a girl. And this goes to any young man out here or anyone who wants to get a girl if you're a man. Don't don't live your life wanting to get a girlfriend because it won't fix you. You need to focus on your goals. Hit the gym. Uh, focus on what you want to do. I want to be a politician, so that's what I'm doing. Reading. And, you know, when you do all those things, a girl will see that and be like, 
oh, I like that person, you know? And that's what you got to do, you know? And I remember, I remember speaking to you and your girlfriend about that, and I said, I remember she said to me, you're not going to meet the love of your life in my club. It's a battle. And, and I was like, that's just right. I'm not going to meet yeah. I mean, I'm sure some people do. Yeah, but you, there's a high chance no, that no. You, you won't. So. It, with me, I think the person I sat down with will be political, and we will have intense conversations. But it was getting worrying towards me because you were in a relationship. And this obviously isn't anything bad towards you, but you're in a relationship. Uh, another mate I was in a relationship. Another mate, another mate I was getting into a relationship. Yeah, I think what it was as well is where, you know, when we were especially, it must have been hard for you in the early years of high school and well, when we were like year 11, whatever, when all the lads were starting to get with girls yes, and yeah, stuff yeah. and you thought to yourself, oh, that never happened. That'll never happen. And then it was worrying here when everyone was getting now in their early 20s, getting into relationships, long-term one, there's a good chance people they're going to get with, they're going to marry or end up staying with for some time. Whatever you're telling me, is what? what's the percentage you've already met the love of your life? Remember you told me that? Well, yeah, there, there was a 70% or something. Oh, I think it's 90%. 90% you've already met the person you're going to marry, but you believe that you you haven't met no, the well, person you're going to marry. I think of all the girls I've ever met, and none of them could have Not saying that they're bad or I'm bad, we just wouldn't connect, yeah. you know? It doesn't, it just isn't, it just isn't a compatible relationship. But I was sort of panicking because you got in a relationship, and then none of them got in a relationship, and then it was going in a relationship. So I was thinking, all my mates are in a relationship, and I'm going to be the single one. I'll be going to their weddings, and I'll be the, I'll be single. You know, I'll be the weird single guy just gets drunk, you know. So, but I was like, right, well, don't focus on that. Just focus on your goals and it should come, you know. And um, that's my advice to anyone out there. If you feel like the underdog in this market, like I do, don't focus on going to the race. When you go on a night out, just go and enjoy the night out. Whatever happens, happens. But don't go off again. I'm going to go there and meet the girl because that's not going to happen. If you put such emphasis on it, it will not happen. Focus on your goals. Focus on whatever you want in life. And by doing that, you will meet the love of your life, but not best not focus on that because I I've now came to cross years. I'm still I'm a, I'm 24. I've only I, I turned 24 20th September, so I've been 24 for less than a week. And I'll tell you this: I'm going to enjoy my 20s, focus on my goals, and the right deal will come, and I think everything will be fine. I need to be what I need to be. Focus on my goals; it will happen. And I'm going to be honest with you, Dil. I believe the of the right girl is out there for you somewhere. You know, I've always said this, and sometimes you'd be like, no, Bill, I don't know. But I've always said to you, Dil, trust me, when you're not looking for a girl, she's just going to randomly Yeah, exactly. In the past, and I believe you, but now I kind of, yeah. Do. You know, and to, to be honest with you, any girl that does get with you in the future, there'll be one lucky girl. And oh, honestly, <laughs> honestly, they'll be oh, one very... Well, you'd have to have the patience of a saint. <laughs> yes, they will have to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They will have to have the patience of a saint, that's true. But, you know, they will be one very lucky girl. And uh, yeah, I'm not. This isn't like a Tinder profile uh, thing or anything like that. Hey, there are any girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's any girls listening, yeah, stay away. No, I'm joking. No, well, no, well, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. But um, so anyway, so we've got to the point now where we finished your. You've done your three years at Bangor Uni, Clanjuter College. And now you decided, oh, I want to do a master's. Yeah. So, talk to so I wanted to go into marketing, advertising, and also I wanted a bit of the university life because I never got that in college. So I remember going to Manchester Metropolitan University um, because it was, I love Manchester. And also it was, um, for those of you who, who've done some university systems, Manchester Net was a former polytechnic which means it's more practical university. It's not like the Uni of Manchester or you know, Liverpool or Bangor University. It's their job is to get you into work. So 
I went to the opening day and I was thinking about doing marketing. So I did some marketing experience for a charity and it was basically digital marketing, even though my, my title was marketing voluntary intern. I decided to do that. And, um, but I went there and they said, Oh, you're too qualified for that. You're, you're too qualified. You're all into it. Why do we recommend you do digital marketing? And I was like, Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So I decided to do digital marketing. Um, I remember my mum saying it was a bad idea, and you actually thought it was a bad idea. I, I just felt like it wasn't you. No. When you said you were going to go do digital no. marketing, I thought, I can't see Dill in an office doing digital marketing. I, I felt like it just wasn't you as a person, and I felt like you were going to hate it. Um, I did. And, and yeah, yeah, you did. Oh, I hated it. So I, I did the course, and I moved there. I started in September, and I left after Christmas. So I wasn't even there that long. Um, but mentally, I kind of went through quite a big mental change. I um, wasn't, this was the first time I moved out. I lived independently and I obviously, you know, challenged relations. I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't really, you know, keeping up stuff. And, um, in the same way, I was stressed out with my dissertation, you know, dissertation, but my side work, I was behind on it um, and whatnot. So, and I have to realize this isn't what I want to do. But I think the kind of, the, um, kind of when it kind of hit, hit me was I'd actually be doing an assignment and I was just stressed out because it was overdue and then they was going to go to go for exemptional circumstances but it didn't work out because I got more time but it didn't register so I've worried I was going to fail and so I, I sort of got myself really really worked up and I um, didn't eat a lot and I, I have a thing with blood basically I, I or injections I don't like blood or injections or anything like that I was watching something where they talk about cancer treatment to a person and I was watching a film and seeing that's why you do dissertation which I'm sure if you're a student or if you do um, like office reports you sometimes do have something in the background I was watching it and I wasn't I didn't eat anything all day I remember having a Domino's and it's like two three in the morning so that isn't even a good time to eat you should be really eating you know and then with more or less my meal I think I might have a sandwich at like 10 or 9 o'clock after my lecture so I had nothing all day basically and I you know and I just got up and I I I don't know what happened, but I um, I, co- I collapsed. So I went up to turn off my light, and I went really fuzzy. And I next minute, you know, I was just on the floor. I hit my head on the skating board, and I grazed my toes on the on the other side of the skating board because it wasn't a, you know it was in my room. Um, I told them I didn't want to tell them about this because I didn't want to worry about it, and I didn't really want to tell you because I know you're my best friend, and I didn't yeah. want you to worry. Um, so I, I obviously told you something. You should tell your mummy collapsed. She was obviously very concerned about me. I think everyone was like, oh, what's he doing? Um, and I think a lot of things, I went through quite a thing. I started going to, um, online counseling. I, I went to one, but then because I was so, my mind was so messed up, I couldn't even focus properly. I didn't even know what day it was. So I, I missed that. I got so low. I started to call the Samaritans. I think I called about three times. I didn't want to kill myself. I just had no one to talk to. Um, and, um, and the reason why I didn't want to burden my mum and dad about it, because I didn't want them to worry. This is what I've always wanted to live in a big city. And I didn't want to burden you because you had your life here in Bangor. And, you know, you had your friends, you had your girlfriend, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to burden you with my problems, basically. Yeah, I know. You know, to be honest, though, I want, like, anything going on like that, Dill, I want to. Yeah, know, well, I know that, but I, I, because, like, yeah, yeah. you know, but you tell me before you tell your parents. Yeah, things. yeah, I know. And I have, you know, if you're not even telling me things, 
you know there is a problem there because you could you could just end up like on the floor dead, again or yeah, whatever. Basically. Dead or whatever. But my 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 thinking towards it was you're a man now. You you if you start telling people it's weakness, yeah, like kind of going like you know you're, you're not a strong man. I said you know because that your your grandparents came to this country in 1950, never bothered anybody, struggled, had to racism. Your grandmother had to deal with sexism. Could buy a house, seven by nine. Uh, um, and my my tide or my grandfather nine and tide I was grandma and grandfather. Uh, my tide went to war in World War Two. You know he he had a job of driving around wagons, tanks, and uh, getting the uh, quite a horrific job actually. Got quite a job of picking up the um, the uh, bodies of um, Jewish concentrate Jewish concentration camps and burning them. You had to identify them. So it was horrible. I was like, all right, well if they can do that, you can do this. Just get your head in the game. And because it's so alien to give up, you know what I'm trying to say, but I remember coming back and um, this was a, um, I wasn't enjoying myself at all, I was ill, I was very ill, and yeah, I, I just, speaking to them, speaking to you and a few other people outside, it's just, well, that's it then, and drop it, basically. Yeah, I know, and you, you decided to give up doing digital marketing in Manchester Metropolitan. I'm going to be honest with you, I think that was the best decision for you because if you would have stayed there, God knows no, where no, no, it probably wouldn't be very well. You wouldn't have been very well. Your mental health, your physical health wouldn't have been very well. No, no. We're all worried about you. Um, so that was, But, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, it took a lot of courage to realise that. It really did take a lot of courage to realise, okay, this is not for me. Because, you know, if, if you're a coward... A cowardly way out was just to say something you don't like. I didn't view it as that way. I thought you didn't have a way out was to give up. Yeah, but you you viewed it differently to me. But a cowardly way, I I told you this at the time. Mm, A cowardly way of doing it would have been staying in the same rut you were and not having the um, the courage to get out of it. But you know, I told you that time. But then you eventually got out of it. You know, and I hope, and hope that you know, hope to God now he realised that uh, yes, yes. it was the best decision, and you weren't a coward. You were quite courageous to get yourself out of something that wasn't working for you instead of just saying it. Yeah, exactly. But that, from my point of view, I've never given up. So to give up, it's a bit like, well, it's a very alien concept for me. Um, but then after that, I obviously you probably know this. I have quite, a, I've always had an interest in politics. I'm a yeah. so, well, this Labour. Is get yeah, this, this, this is what yeah, I'm doing right now, actually. Today, this is where the story kind of comes up to present day, is once you kind of left Manchester and came back to live at home, obviously you applied for a job. Um, because you said, oh, you needed a job, obviously. Yes, yeah, so I got a job at a human humanitarian so you got a job at a human, humanitarian charity yeah. um, in Salford, which you could do remotely. Yes, yes. So but you can move. You, but you can go into the office if you want as well. Yeah. Well, eventually, yeah. that's only recently, because I wanted to be back to Manchester. And I've always been into politics, to be honest with you. In fact, a lot of people were saying, I think you were saying it, loads of other people were saying, yeah, he's, he's a politician. You know what I mean? You know, I joined my party when I was 20, um, and then I, because I've always been Labour voters and we've always had lively political debates. You've, you've been over to my household, my mum and dad, my auntie and uncle, and my uh, grandfather and grandmother. Uh, you know, I, I love politics. I, I loved it. I know, like, you know, you could be a politician. So I was like, myself, well, yeah, all right. So I decided to take it more seriously because you're in the COVID pandemic. Um, I, we had the Senate election. So for listeners don't know what the Senate is, it's the most parliament. Um, and I we tried to get our person elected, so I did dial-ups, I did door-to-door knocking out the candidate, he's a very nice candidate. Politically, we're very similar, both centre-left candidates, I'd say. Peace, right, centre-left people. Um, and, you know, door-to-door, and I, um, yeah, I, I did a lot. 
Um, so what happened was Wolverton didn't get in because we live in quite a conservative area, but I think with the uh, current climate politics, I think Chloe West will turn red. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we're in it for a good uh, a good bet, I reckon. But, um, yeah, so I decided right while well, I want to be things, so I got more involved with the party, and then I moved to Manchester. Oh, well, before that, the party had a meeting because we had the council election, and they said, so I live in a village called Clumberless, and said, come, why don't you run for Clisfine? It's a Labour area. We haven't had, last time we had someone Labour, um, they didn't stand, so a Conservative got in, so you can beat that person, get it? Because the council elections, this is when Keith Starwin just became, no, I think he'd been leader for about a year now of the party, and he, he was much more centred to Corbyn, um, and he was much more eligible. He just was a difficult because we in a pandemic, so he was finding his feet, basically. Um, so he said, right, well, I'll go out and run as councillor. You know, and this was quite hurt because a 23-year-old lab run council, that's quite big. You know, you don't really do that until you're like more established, but that wasn't that. Like, well, you know, all experience is good. I want to be a politician one day. Go ahead, run for councillor. And the party, you know, I didn't volunteer. They asked me to, and I did have to think about it. I thought, well, you know, this is the start of it. I spoke to the person who we tried to get elected in the Senate. They said, yeah, you go for it, you make a good politician. You actually volunteer yourself for the first time. So I, I ran basically the candidate. I um I did okay. I came second. The independent beat me, unfortunately. Um, but understandably, I'm sure he'll still people this fine well. Um, you know, he's an independent, um, and he just knew he knew he knew the area longer. You know, he'd been there for years, so he knew it more longer. But it was quite interesting because all the young people could find you who I was, but they knew who he was. Likewise, all the elderly people knew who he was, but they knew who I was. So I think it was a generational thing there as well. Which I found fascinating. Obviously, um, because I really, really put my heart into the thing. I was gutted. You know, I really didn't take well at losing because I was like, oh, you know, um, I wasn't meant to be. I, you know, I was a and I went to a politician and I couldn't, I had my chance and I couldn't. Um, and, you know, I've let up, I could change people's lives and I didn't. But then I kind of look at it as sort of, well, okay, this is, this is, you know, I, I'm much believer. I wasn't. You've always been a believer in the universe, haven't you? And things happen yeah, for you. Like, I never was. Stuff I never like really yeah. believed that. But I think what the universe is saying to me is like, yeah, good. Now you're all on the path in politician, and that's why I'm now currently. Um, but we're not going to give it to you. You're going to have to work for it harder. Um, and I, I believe that. So, um, well, I recently went to the conference as a. I now moved to Manchester to Wilkinson. Um, I had to still represent my old uh, CLP, Clued West, but um. Now I'm going to sign myself to Wimbledon and join them and get involved and try and be, um, try and be, you know, get involved and hopefully be maybe a councillor for Wimbledon and then one day maybe even MP for Wimbledon or MP in any area of Manchester or Labour's AC because I really want to be an MP. I think that's what I was meant to do, really become a politician. I have a real knack for it. And I, you know, my dad said, you're, you're not one of those people who are Etonian from the eating class. You're not Etonian. You're a regular guy. You have regular beliefs. You're, you're, you, you're, you want to care. You're, you're much more, you know what I mean? You have potential to be a good statesman. You just focus on it. You have the knowledge and you're fascinating. You know, political news, I'm there. You know, I love watching political stuff. I understand completely. I love watching the Westminster debates. I love watching the surf debates. Any debates. I've watched Northern Ireland debates as well and Scottish debates. But, you know, I just, I'm the, the Senate and the Congress. I love it. I understand what's going on. Um, I've got more I need to learn, but I'm wanting to learn, and one day, I, you know, hopefully, I will be an MP. Yeah. 
Yeah, and also you've been to conferences as well, haven't you? Yes. You yes. went to one recently, but you've been to one before that. Yeah, well, the Cardiff. You went no, there? we went. Well, we went to the Welsh Conference in Clandidno, oh, and right. then the recall was in Cardiff, um, because basically two motions withdrew, so we had to rebuild with two motions. Um, first conference I did was in Clandidno, and I um, spoke about. It was very last minute, actually. I spoke to one of the members who used to be in my CLP, but moved for uni, but he moved back to Cardiff. And he said, I need your help with them. I remember this. So we were in, um, what's that uh, place in Clandon Mill, where people go, begins with a P, top of the town, cafe, Providero. Yeah. Providero. And uh, we were not sponsored by Providero. We're not sponsored by Providero, but it's irrelevant. <laughs> so I, 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 I said, there's a young lady meeting there. Go to it. So I have a chat around. I spoke to the candidate, Josh, and I spoke to the other members of the I said, I need you to help me with something. And I said, uh, well, what do you need to help with? What do you help with? Thinking, you need to talk about housing. And I just thought, oh, I just want to carry some stuff. So I said, because, no, no, I wanted to talk from housing. I said, excuse me? Because yeah. when, when, when you're a delegate of uh, the party, you should, obviously, voting motions are part of what's talking is make it part of it. I said, yeah, Zach, I haven't, I haven't, Paired anything was just speak from the heart, you'll be fine. So I was like, okay, then. So I reckon you what I was going to say. It's about um, housing, of how young people can't afford houses, basically, and rent. So I went up and said, look, my my tide when I could afford how I buy the house, a conference I can't afford it. We need to have housing. We need to do better in Wales. We need to do that. Um, it's difficult because even though we do have a Labour government in Wales, we have a Tory, we've had a Tory government and we've had about 12 years of austerity. So it's very difficult to have that because we can, the Welsh government can only do so much. It's what, so much without the funding of uh, Westminster. We need to change, um, you know, the economic model. Um, and that was one of the uh, things really. And I did a speech and it was really well and very well perceived. And then, um, unfortunately, the motion didn't pass. Um, but you know, the main thing is I spoke on what I believed in and I, you know, did the motion because, you know, I was, I was telling the truth, you know, um, you know, there's people out there who are stupid. I said, we're taught to go off work hard as an apprentice or go off, uh, go study hard in my life, go to university, and you're guaranteed a house and you're not, you're not. That's the thing. You know, there's people who, who haven't really moved house and they're like in their thirties, you know, my, my tiny nine owned a house when they were 23, you know. It's very difficult unless you're in a in a relationship to, to get a mortgage, a, a committed relationship. Is that not a proper? No, like you know, these four or five months are proper long term relationship. Um, and I'll tell you another thing. You know, in France, what they offer is quite good. They offer social housing. So if you're a young person, no, it's like council housing as well. So you'd have a house. And that's something you have that independence as a young person. Um, but yeah, that's how I talked about it. I and mean, the second uh, thing, we went to the recall in Cardiff for two motions. And it was, uh, we had the Senate review and we had the democracy review. Now the democracy review was, sorry, Senate reform and democracy review. The, do- demo- the, the democracy review was how we elect a Labour leader in the, Labour, in the Welsh Labour Party. And basically it was, we had basically two options. We had um, the parliamentary, sorry, the Senate Labour group pick, have more patch, patch outs, they have 20% to pick leader. Or we as members, the Labour people, um, trade union affiliate, trade union affiliate and affiliates pick. So I went for the second moment because it's more democratic because, and I made a speech saying, 
look, I'm going to be honest with you, we're not politicians, members, but we, we get it because when we go to pubs or coffee shops or go out walking or whatever, people talk about politics. That's just happened to me. I, you know, I, I get it from Uber drivers, I get it from anyone in the pub, anybody, you, my mum, dad, your parents, anybody, you know, I, I, I get it. And, and it's very important as members that we lay that information back. So I felt like it would be more democratic to give us a shot of picking the label. Obviously, the, our review, point B, won because it was more democratic. It won by a full house. No, there was zero abstains to it or against it when, um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was very good, really. And I really felt like, you know, I made a difference and we had our option, opportunities to have more control of who our late leaders going to be. That's, that's brilliant, though. That's yeah. brilliant. Especially, so, so you, you didn't get to talk on the one recently. Unfortunately not, because I want to talk to a motion about um, legalising recreational cannabis, but unfortunately, for those of you who don't understand how conference works, is, um, so each CLP has a motion and um, basically the motion has to get put forward to the uh, CAC. So it goes to, uh, it, did, it didn't pass, unfortunately. Anyway, it passed in drug reform, but it wasn't picked as a priority to talk about. So I had this big speech on to legalize recreational um, cannabis and use it to boost our economy. So I kind of felt like it could boost the economy. Uh, we could do, we could do, we could tax them, use that money for um, drug addicts or better drug education. And also, I felt like it was a waste of police man hours to go after cannabis when there's more serious crime like rape and uh, corruption, really. So I was saying like that. And I, I think, you know, I don't just have to pick in America, even though it's um, classed illegally federally. By states, it's, it's, most states have it legal. And a lot of European neighbours are considering legal. Germany were considering legal to increase their economy. So what I don't, didn't want Britain to do was to be on the back end of it. We should be the front of some kind of economy, especially now with Brexit. Now, um, you could be a Brexit Remainer, I was a Remainer, um, but you can really, it has messed up the, the economy. We need to make new trade deals and we need to have something which is quite unique. And I think if we legalise cannabis, we could have more, you know, when yeah, we could do exactly. deals and make money and have our, a stronger economy. Exactly, you know, and uh, that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to talk about yes. that. Yes. You know, we're not going to get too much into politics on this because it's more about your life. Yeah, and we, there will be episodes when we'll talk about Yeah, for future episodes, we will talk about politics and, you know, um, so, and then that kind of just brings us up to modern day, really. We've mm. kind of talked about a lot of things and we've talked about good things. We've talked about bad things. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about in terms of you, the listeners could take pick up and think, God, that's gonna that would be good motivation or that would be good for me to listen to? Well, it's just the times of listening dark, you know, hard, but you gotta it it you gotta work work at the meal. You know, things will get better if you are lonely and you have got a girl or you know, don't feel like, you know, you've got a career sense so you can change your mind at any time. But if you want something bad enough and you're willing to do that not party and not watch Netflix or telly or go on social media because social media is probably the biggest um, thing for um, you know uh, motivated it makes you so motivated because I'll, I'll be honest with you listeners I'm now in a, a situation where I've got an app where I time my, where it sets my apps off so I don't I don't go on my phone all the time because I remember I would be looking on my social media and for you and I, I was I was looking through this, this girl you know she was about my age got engaged had engagement and I felt really jealous because it started moving to my own insecurities 
and she has every right to post that. I'm not saying she was in the wrong because she wasn't. It was my own thing. I just feel on social media for too much. So, you know, if you want to um, do well, just stop social media. Try and get into the routine. You know, try and focus on the Try and eat healthy. Go to the gym. You know, and focus on what you want to do in life. Because you're going to get more life. You know, I, I don't believe in this thing saying, you know, people say, oh, well, you live once. You don't live once. You live every day. You die once. So... What do you want your legacy to be exactly? Do you want your legacy to be someone who was jealous all the time, spend their time partying on Netflix, or, you know, just do whatever, playing PlayStation, FIFA, COD, not going to gym? But what do you want your, leg- your, your legacy to be? Someone who went out and made a difference, whether that is political or within the private, 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 um, sector or even in the public sector, you know? Circles believe you can do things. Things are hard. But the hard things which seem impossible, they're the ones fighting for listeners. And I urge anyone here who has a dream, I've been told it can't be done. It can be done. I'm in proof of that. A lot of people said to me, I couldn't do these things, and I did them. So I hope that's the one to take away. Just don't give up. If I could do them, you're all sure as hell can. That's just lovely, lovely words there, Bill. And I just want to say as well, um, uh, you know, you're, I look at you every day and I always speak every day. You know, you know, it's absolutely amazing what you've done. Oh, no, honestly, it's so amazing. <laughs> and, you know, you motivate me, you motivate so much others. Um, you know, I just want to say thank you for being so courageous to talk about your story on the first episode of our podcast. Well, you know what it was, Bill? Um, so, for listeners, I don't blow me the but I did a half marathon in Bangor. First off, marathon. You can imagine I came dead last. Um, and um, I remember, because I didn't want to speak about this at all, really. Um, I re- I remember we went to Morrison's uh, Cafe for some breakfast. And you sat me down and said, it's your, you, it's your duty. You're doing these inspirational, inspiring things. Put yourself in hell to, to, to chase after after that. And you need to, um, you need to start thinking about how is that affecting the generation? I spoke to my brother about the podcast and he said to me, you know what, Dylan, you need to um, be the same person you wanted the role model to be. You know what I mean? You don't be, you know, be the person you want to be and really motivate people because, you know, there, there are the same people out there across the globe who feel like they're not good enough. They've got no role model. So be the role model you never had so you can inspire these people. So you actually, it's your duty to do it. I said, you're right. And that's the duty that you might not even know you had. You know, it's, um, you have such a responsibility, even yeah. whether you like it or not. And, well, this is my opinion. No, I know you no, agree you're, with you're me. Right, right. I think you've got such an opinion to the younger generation coming up now to educate them, inspire them, motivate them, especially young kids with disabilities. That they can go anywhere in this world, do whatever they want, and nothing should hold them back. No, nothing should hold them back. And I think that's where poly- that's where the Labour side gets into me about sticking up for everyone, helping everyone, giving me the dog the voice. That's that's what drives me to politics. We'll talk more about my actual beliefs later on, but I want to do if I ever do get in as MP, I want to have policies for help to get into work and do that. Yeah, so yeah, we'll give us a hand. And I, I think you'd be perfect for setting up policies for yeah. disabled people yeah. because you know what it's like. You live through it every day. I've got skin in the game, so to speak. You know, just to quick, quickly go over what type of things, like for only for like 
not not for that long, but what type of things would you, <laughs> policies would you kind of put into place? To say, well, to I say, think education needs to be re- rethink. I want to teach more about disabled disabilities, so it isn't a shock. Because I think the problems of our lifestyle not necessarily that people hate these people or dislike them. It's just that they are unknowing of them, and I think naturally human nature. When you don't know something, your natural response is to back away rather than engage. If that makes sense, if you don't, it, would you? Would you? Yeah. Think, you know, it's the natural response. So better education for sure, and also I would want to redo education um, to get more people into trades, first in technology where they can actually do these trades and new degrees and live and live the life. You know, live yeah. not necessarily if yeah. they do what they want, give them opportunities. We're meant to be in the most liberal time. But I never really felt like I had a voice. I don't feel like we have a voice in a lot of ways. I want to be a catalyst for change and I want them to have a voice. And I think it's important for any disabled person out there. It's hard to ask for help. But what my story told you is it's so important to ask for help because you will need help. But there's this wrong with it. It doesn't, if you're a male, it doesn't make you any less of a man if you ask for help. You know, that mentality I had in Manchester was a very toxic, toxic, uh, uh, mindset, and um, I was wrong to have that mindset. You know, it's okay to struggle, but you cannot give up on your goals. Have help if you feel if you think of so well. Have a few days off, but then get back right on it. Think you can do extraordinary things. Yeah, exactly. Though that's very wise words, and also, like you said, putting your mind to your goals. That half marathon you did in Bangor. That was some achievement. Oh well, yeah, honest to God, I've never. I've <laughs> I've, I've seen you struggle in the past, but. This was a new level of struggle. Yeah. And, uh, uh, why don't you just tell the viewers well, I mean, the listeners what that half marathon was like and what yeah. type of emotions were going through. Well, again. I'll be honest. And um, what happened yeah, at the end. Well, as well, this is what I was doing my master in Manchester. Yeah. Uh, I've said it to be your fault, but I did the marathon to begin with. It was, yeah, yeah. I said uh, I was going to do it with him. A lot of people said, and they all dropped out. And, um, I didn't realise doing the half marathon. I thought there would be a be like a fun run, um, and um, you know, I, I it was like athletes. I, I remember going there. I'm thinking, oh, these were athletes. What am I? What have I done? But I just had to be strong and keep going. And I'm, you know, I'm glad I did. You know, I'm training for the Heaton Park half marathon in March because, um, you know, just because I enjoy it. It's important to have a goal. And, um, you know, outside, unless, because my job isn't, what I want to do isn't necessarily associated with fitness, but it's important to have goals, which are fitness, whether that's competing with a team or, you know, doing solo sports. It's very important to do it. So I, I am doing the Heaton Park one. And it'll be easier than Banger. And hopefully I, I can get better. I won't be dead last and I can run all of it. But I never stopped. And it was emotionally, it was so hard. It was emotionally because... Well, I was trying to keep a co- get in contact with you, yeah. Lincoln, but we, I had um this app where it says, like, you can find your friends on it. And we went to try to find Neil because w- what happened was there, the back pacemaker had to leave you because you were at the back. You were yeah. Last. yeah. He left because you were taking too long. And, um, which is fair enough. Which is fair enough. Like, yeah. And they were going to take down the signs and stuff for you because the race was officially over, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But, um, the you, dead you, last. And, um, they were trying to get you to go back, right? They, they wanted me to do the 10k. I was like, no, I'm doing the half marathon because I'm stubborn. You know, so I'm a very stupid, <laughs> person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea where Dill was. We ended up finding them somehow up the back road somewhere. Yeah. You pulled into the state and I ran out and I was like, you know, I was like, you must have thought you were hallucinating. Yeah. Yes, I did. 
yeah. And then we got out and you know, we helped we gave you some water, gave you some energy gel or whatever. And, and your I think it was your dad was like, Come on, Bill, now come on. I'm a man, my man was there, was like yeah. they were so worried about you, they were like, Oh, come on now, they'll just stop and you're like, No, I'm not doing it. But I remember you, you said to my mum, you were like Karen, you can tell you, you can you, you'll ask him and he'll lie to you and say he's fine. I can have a broken leg. Yeah, yeah. carry on. And it was quite, it was quite <laughs> a funny ordeal to be honest. And then I was like, all right, you know what? I've done this before. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna start walking with you the whole way and running with you the whole way. So that's what I did. And, and um, me and my uh, girlfriend's sister, she. We we started running with you together. Yeah, and uh, she did the ten k. Yeah, she did the ten k. Stupidly. And then yeah, then my girlfriend she she at the end uh, went the match as well. And, and and your girlfriend's mum as well. Yeah. She was there. She said, "John, I'm like, like, no, I don't want to like it." There was a guy on the bike. Yes, was yes, with you when we when he found yes, you. Yes, yeah. He was <laughs> the whole way in, and he was amazing. To be fair to. Him. Yeah, and you know, fair play to your girlfriend. She kept feeding me sweets. She's like, "Yeah, have sweet." I had so much sugar. I had like. Coke. I had these um, what the sweets, jelly sweets, uh, pastels. Oh, it was it was just you know. But you know, you I knew that no matter what we were, you know, you it was raining, you were in severe pain. But you, I, I got out at this point. Yeah. To be honest, listeners, I couldn't tell if it was cold. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, you know, you know, you know rain like, stopped recording basically. Yeah, happened. very much. And then so. we got to the the high stream banger. And then Dan the fin- knew the finish line was at this front. And then we all went ahead. So they could come in. And he started sprinting towards the finish line. Hits the finish line. Amazing. Everyone's cheering. Everyone's clapping. Everyone was clapping. I didn't know where I was, by the way. I thought I was in the uh, Coliseum yeah. in Rome. That's how it kind of felt like. Or, you know, boxes, when they, they walk out, it felt like that. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. very overwhelmed. I was just on so, And then... And then um, we went back to where everyone went back to my university house and what happened then? You were just overwhelmed. Well, yeah. I was overwhelmed. I, I remember going into the shower and I was I was showering for an hour. I started just crying. I couldn't stop crying and crying and crying. And I was crying. I was so, so crying, man. And then I got out and I sat on the toilet and then I saw something and I carried on crying and I couldn't stop crying. And then and then you were saying, are you, are you finished? I was like, and I was like, what do you mean am I finished? And he goes... Well, we're all waiting for you. And I was like, well, why are you all waiting for me? I was like, well, why are you all waiting for me? We're all waiting for you. I was like, oh, that's it. Okay, so I get changed. I come down. I sit down. I think everyone knows that I've been crying because I have my eyes and then my head is sobbing upstairs. And I, I keep having these kind of, you know, people keep me cold, like Coca-Cola. And then, um, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm just, and I, and this is a bit, it's not awkward, but it's a bit like, um, I didn't really know your girlfriend's family well at this point. So, um, I was like, right, we'll go for Chinese. My mum and dad still go for Chinese because I hadn't seen him in a while because I was in Manchester. So I, I got up and I, I, I looked at, and I think it was your girlfriend, her sister and her mother, I sat on the table and I, I, I went up and I went, and I had tears and I was like, thank you for helping me with this half marathon very much. Like, you know, I was holding back the emotions. I didn't want to just burst that crying. I was so close. Uh, but yeah, I think it was quite an emotional day for a lot of people really, you know. You know, and I think this all links back to... um. You you love with adversity. I've told you this before. I think, uh, in a way, I think you're addicted to stress. Uh, I mean, yeah, because if maybe, you don't have yeah. anything stressful going on in your life, I think the way your brain works is it doesn't feel like you're doing anything productive or you're not moving forward in life. Away. Yes. You know yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's just the way I am. Um, probably is due to condition, but um, yeah, it was it was quite an emotional uh, day, and uh, you know, obviously, I didn't really, you know, I, I was exhausted. And where I was going, because like this is all when I was in Manchester, Matt. 
So I was not doing well then, so I needed to win. I wasn't around people who supported me, like cared about me, but I felt in that moment I was, so it was quite refreshing. Because I've never been somebody who needs constant praise because I don't, you know what I mean? I work well with criticism, but in that moment, because I was so low with Manchester, I needed properly, I could have trained better as well. Um, but I, you know, I'm glad I, I'm glad I, you know, did it. And um, yeah, it just needed that. And uh, yeah, it felt amazing. You know, it felt amazing. It was such an achievement, you know. And yeah. if you've got some pause or any condition, you should do a half perfect. Don't, you know, train properly, eat healthy. Don't be skipping food. You need to have calories and you need to keep going, you know. Um, but you can, you can do it, you know. And it's don't let anything stop you, you know. There was no one in that half marathon, no one had a physical disability. I was the underdog there, but I did it. I completed it. And I did stuff. I don't have a big head, but I did stuff that some of the condition wouldn't do, you know? So if you really want something bad enough, you can and you will do it. Yeah, that's fact. 100% Dill. Great, great words. And um, is there, is this just a different question now? Of course, of course. You know, um, is, obviously you're doing all this for yourself and you want to do these mm. achievements for yourself because you're doing it for yourself, whatever. Is there, has there anyone in your life um, that you've tried to gain the approval of or you've wanted to gain the approval of throughout your life or is it just more yourself or anything like that? Is there anyone you thought, oh, like, you know, I'm they're proud of me or anything like that? Not really. I've, I've had quite supportive parents, really. But, um, yeah, it's, it's more just how society views people in general, I believe, you know, they view you as disabled, so you've got to try and break it. And I think it's harder. I think it is hard as a man to be, you think people associate men with being strong and I'm not strong. You know what I mean? You know, you're not top dog. You know what I'm trying to say? And you want to be top dog, but it's so hard because you have to climb the echelons of greatness to get there, you know, and it's difficult. It's not easy. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be like, well, this is what society views to call at the moment, and there's me who's sort of the opposite. You're trying to break the mould of break the society's mold. idea yes, of what yes. a stable person is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in a, like a in a way, way in a way, no, in a way, pragmatic way. In a way, they're having a different term for it is even um, a way of class classing you as disabled is like you want to break it as in like you want you don't even want to be classed. No, well, no. you just want to be. Like the, normal, not even the term normal because I'm not trying to describe no, no, no. You the term be, normal. Yeah, is. yeah, yeah. But it is, it is difficult, hundred percent. You know, it is, it is harder because you think society have put us in this situation, and I just think it's because you know you can't be, you can't be to what society thinks. You can only be what you are to what you. What my brother said to me was, if you put a vibe that I'm just a stable guy, you'll be just a stable guy. Yeah. If you put vibes. No, I'm going to achieve. I'm going to be the best I can be. You will become that. Yeah. Well, you are what you you are what you think. You are what you, you are. Know, if you're constantly thinking, oh, I'm toxic against everyone. I hate. Like, oh, these girls don't like me because I'm disabled. You'll All never. These jobs don't, yeah. You know. You'll never. Happen, you'll know? never. You'll never progress anywhere. You'll be in the same box, basically. You'll just go around in a massive. Or if, well, if you put out the the energy into the universe of, oh, I will have a girlfriend. I am going to have a wife. I, I am. I will succeed. I will become a And they're all positive yeah. words to put into the universe. And that's going to, the universe will put things into play that'll help you. No, of course. But you, I mean, I mean, you know, I think, you know, it's very comfortable with attraction in the book, but I do believe people mistake that law of attraction. They read the book or they listen to the audio, video, audio book on YouTube or Amazon or whatever. 
And what they'll do is they'll sit on the end of bed and be like, I won't, but it isn't like that. You actually have to go out and do it. Yeah, sense. you have to actually. I think some people just think, I'll sit on the end of the bed and I'll think that every now and then. There's a way like that. You have to go out there and put act, you need to put the, work, the, act, the words into actions. Yes. That's yes. what you need to do. Like you say, you just can't be there at the end of your bed. Oh, this is going to happen for me. And you're not, you're just sitting at the end of the bed. You're sitting in your boxes or you're naked or you're sitting in your PJs. It's not going to happen. It's not, you have to actually go out and do, be consistent. And you're, you know, you're the living, uh, embodiment of that you know you just don't you just don't sit in your room and think wish things are going to happen no you actually physically go to the spot you need to be in you're you know you're you're interacting with people Mm. you're putting things into place to you know exactly but i felt like i haven't achieved yet stuff maybe i'll never feel that way maybe you'll never feel like you have achieved but that in a a way that would be a good thing because you're always striving for greatness yeah because i i was i was listening to eddie hearn on a podcast and he has the same thing see the one thing why i just think successful people is that they did break the mold um they were outsiders to a point and they were people trying to break the mold and that's what i've got so I do listen to a lot of podcasts and I think to myself of successful people. I think, yeah, I've got those characteristics. I'm an outsider, a bit of an underdog, but I'm going to achieve no matter what. And that's, that's kind of what it is. You know, I'm not at the, st- at the end of it. I'm at the very start of it and I'll never feel satisfied. Any here never feel satisfied. Well, I probably won't feel satisfied, but maybe one day I will, maybe one day I can rest, rest, relax, but at the moment I need to keep going. It's a massive marathon <laughs> if you put on the bun, but it's a massive, it's like um, an ultra marathon mixed with Tough Mother, you just got to keep going, keep going, keep going and never give up and keep going. That didn't work, let's do this. That didn't work, do that. Oh, try this, try that. Do this, do that. If you push that much belief in yourself and you work, you will achieve Exactly, 100%. Great, great thoughts there. And a few final thoughts for me mm. before we wrap this first podcast. Yeah, it's two hours. I, just wanna, <laughs> I just want to thank you for your honesty for on, thank you for, on this podcast today. I want to thank you for your courage, for telling your story. And I want to thank you for wanting to help and motivate others by putting out this type of content out there for people to listen to. Yeah, and um, I'm sure in the future... In, uh, down the line we'll do another one of these and we'll talk about what you've done since this podcast Mate, well you know what we could do we could do your, your, if, if your politics your yeah. career and stuff well, like that politics in general will be one of the themes yeah, of this podcast well, we'll, anyway so like I say I just want to yeah, we'll get on from all sorts of parties Labour Conservative Clyde exactly we're going to uh, have but also, but also not just see maybe some American ones as well but also not just political we're going to have guests on from all, all over the place and different types of backgrounds <clears throat> also there will just be podcasts for me they'll be talking about current affairs which we're going to try to do at the end of the week um, what we're, well the plan is in the early uh, early parts of the week we'll put out a podcast on a certain topic that me and Dylan will choose and that'll be an interesting topic we'll try to break it down bit by bit and then the, pod- the podcast that comes out later on in the week will be a podcast about me and Dylan talking about current affairs which will probably be a bit shorter but it'll be a nice quick current affairs talk and what's going on at the minute and um, a final I just want to get some final thoughts for you Dylan mm-hmm. about this podcast of course uh, well, I like to just say thank you for you. You've been my best friend since year seven. You were eleven, I was twelve. No problem, sir. And I think with your support, I wouldn't be here today, as well as my support oh, with other you. friends and family. I do appreciate it. Thank you. And if you're just don't give up, but is it just keep going and you will succeed in your dreams? I know it sounds a bit cliche, but I am. I wouldn't say I'm involvement of that, but I'm doing that, and I believe when things get tough, you just keep going. And I am sort of succeeding, so just keep succeeding, and you should be okay. 
Well, you know, as what's it, the line on Richie says, when the going gets tough. Get it's going. going. <laughs> right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Misunderstood World podcast. Uh, make sure to check out all the socials. They'll be in the descriptions of either the YouTube or the Spotify. And keep an eye out on the socials for when the next episode's up. And thank you very much for listening to me, uh, Dylan Davis. It's been a pleasure being your co-host and also the first guest on the podcast. Exactly. Uh, for the first episode. I think uh, whatever happens, I'm excited about listening and I hope you people enjoy the content we, we produce. Thank you now. Take care.